Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about Fair Money, the credit-led new bank in emerging markets. We'll explore the Fair Money story across the following areas. One, we'll start with some context about African lending and consumer credit. Two, we'll talk about Fair Money's founding and early history. Three, its product optimization strategy. Four, its competitive position and potential exit options. And then fifth, we'll end with our views on its overall outlook. This episode was recorded on October 1st, <laughs> 2023. Ah, oh, Fair Money, episode 69. Happy Independence Day, Nigeria. Oh, for real, it's today, I forgot. Yes, yeah. of course. That's sort of importance. Yeah, it's very important. Anyways, how are you doing, man? I'm actually not feeling so well. I was telling you before we started recording. I'm going to make it through to this episode, but I was very close to postponing it. But I just want to get oh, it, man, and move on with my life. Yeah, I like it. I'm yes. good. I, I went to, I always feel like I went to exercise, like the people, those people that are always <laughs> exercise the fighting war. I don't know what war I'm fighting. Like, I, my job in sitting in front of a computer, like... Yeah. I don't know why I need to be doing all this exercise, but my body's telling me that you need to chill, dude. Like, this is not your life. You're an office worker. You were telling me before we started recording, you hadn't worked out for two weeks. You decided yeah. to work out, and now your body is broken down. But my body's like, we're not doing that, fam. You're, you're an office worker. You get paid to send emails. Can you chill? Um, exactly. Send emails for a living. So, right, right. My so. fitness is not really a point of point of thing for me. I, I got to figure out how to modulate that. I, I can imagine. So we're going to do some fitness today. Fair Money Fitness. Fair Money episode no. 69. Are you ready? Fair Money is a neobank and a money lender that has operations in Nigeria and India. Based in Paris, they've raised a lot of money, over $50 million. They've made some acquisitions and they have a lot of customers. Depending on who you ask, they say they're the biggest neobank in Nigeria. Fair Money is a credit-led neobank that provides micro-loans and other financial services to consumers in Nigeria and India. They were founded in 2017. At some point, they claimed to be the most downloaded uh, lending app in Nigeria. At some point, they claimed to be the most, the fintech app with the most number of calls. They made a lot of claims. So either way, they seem to be one of the biggest, and they have low single-digit millions in terms of number of customers. They've raised, depending on the source, between 50 and $70 million since they were founded in 2017. That's a lot of money in six-ish years, including a $42 million Tiger Global Round Series B. They're one of the few startups that's simultaneously in Nigeria and India. There should be a good discussion about fintech, lending, monetization, international expansion, and all the government regulation around that. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. On the most downloaded part, I feel like some of us always forget Pompeii because you don't got to download this <laughs> app. Yeah, it's there when yes. you buy the phone. They may not be the most downloaded, but some of the pre-installed stuff is, is pretty sizable. But this Agreed. is going to be a fun chat. Episode 69. Whew. All right, okay. let's do... Okay, public service announcements. I'll, I'll do that. Listeners, founders, operators, investors, um, email us. We'd like to partner with you. Drive the ecosystem forward. Info at Afrobilly.com. You can join our Substack where we post every week about different topics around Africa tech. Go to Afrobilly.com or go to Substack.Afrobilly.com. Cool. Biases. On one hand, I'm leaning positive. Or when I started research, I'm, and to the research, I was above positive, and I still mm -hmm. am positive. I have a couple of hesitations that I'll go through in my summary, but I would say coming in, I was very like, this is like one of those find a problem, build a business, solve a problem, makes sense. and like grow into other things. It kind of like feels like a very linear, explainable, understandable path. My biases are much more positive. If I if I say something that I did not say for Kuda Bank, just keep me keep me honest. <laughs> Kuda, shout out to Kuda. Before I did research, I, I liked the company because I met the founder. He seemed like a very direct 
honest, cool dude of like some slightly uh, positive biases. After I've done a bunch of research, still slightly positive, their strategy seems to make sense. They have like a clear direction of what they're trying to build, the initial starting points, where they're trying to grow. They made some acquisitions to offer them a wider set of features, reach more consumers. It seems to make sense, especially around product strategy, monetization, how they think about costs, and especially CAC. Mm. Slightly positive. So with that lens, maybe take some things I say with a great grain of salt. We'll see how the conversation yeah, it's, unfolds. It's, it's, it's very explainable and very like linear in a way that allows commentators like affability right. uh, make sense of it. It makes sense from the outside. Even and, okay, jump. so actually, before we start, we've had the first Afrobility company go out of business, Gene, but is the first company we ever covered that's gone out of business. Any thoughts before we start Fair Money? It's never happened. You before. know, you know, that also had a linear story. It was very explainable. <laughs> and then it, was it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was clear. Yeah. It all made sense. But, you know, it was literally one of those dudes. I looked up this gene therapy. I looked at their bench. They had all the good people from like, like right. people from the, they had people from the businesses they were trying to sell to on yeah. their C-suite. They had mm-hmm. clear use cases, it seemed. They had, then they had this COVID thing that was just, remember you had to get a test to get out of the country. Right. And you had Everyone. to get, and they were one of the few ones, they had offices in VI, you could walk in and pay through your nose and get it. They were just making money hand over fist hmm. for 12 to 18 months. And then they shut down. I, I have seen some stories around what happened there. Nobody's really... Like, nobody said it in a way that has made sense to me. It's just like, oh, mm. they mismanaged and they spent a lot more. Oh, what? For <laughs> <laughs> $40 million. <laughs> Give it to me. I'll be all right. Oh, oh what? What do you mean that they, right. they, they, they grew too much? How? As what? Like, somebody yeah. needs to give me some more color to this. But if anybody knows, please email info at fabulator.com. We are curious. We want to know what happens with 54G. It's not on the internet, apparently. <laughs> if you know. Yeah. If on on know. one hand, I, I feel a bit sad because... The, the vision of what the company was trying to do, African genomics, find more research, ways to create drugs and therapies for people that have the specific blood type, genotype of Africans, yeah. it also sort of made sense. The founder had a skill set that was both scientific and business relationship partners. I don't know, everything just seemed to unravel so quickly. So I'm a little bit yeah. sad, but I guess it's the cycle of business and capitalism. Just yeah. un- unfortunate. Okay, yeah. fair, fair money. We're going to start with African consumer credit contacts. Luckily for us, we spoke about this both on our episode 32, which was our lending episode, and our episode 68, which was an episode about brand. Here's a clip of what we said the last time to set some context about the African credit ecosystem. Let's let's talk a bit about like Africa-wide metrics because okay. it's very different in very different parts of Africa. Kenya is super far ahead. Hmm. By the way, thanks to Samara Karayuki's fintech newsletter. Oh. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. There's a lot of good data there. It's probably nice. one of the most detailed um, newsletters on Africa fintech that are out there. If you're interested in that space, you should definitely take a look. A lot of it has been driven by M-Pesa. We've covered this in a Safaricom episode, in a lending episode. M-Pesa is probably like the topic that comes up the most on our podcast as a whole. Right. But it's done a lot for financial inclusion. And therefore, I saw a fact that 62% of Kenyans have taken up multiple loans from digital loan providers. That's a 62 percent of Kenyans. That is crazy high. Multiple loans, exactly. I'm sure the single loan thing is higher. And if you look at the number for Nigeria, credit credit interest in Nigeria is 5% in 2017, 6% in 2019. There are levels to this, right? There are levels to this. Wow. And a lot a lot of it is driven by Mpesa with Mshuari and yes. Fuliza. Yes. Fuliza is an overdraft product, which I talked about earlier, Mshuari lending and savings product. 
And contrast what happened in Kenya, where it's easy, you get it on your phone. You do that with, contrast that with Nigeria, you find that just there's not a lot of formal credit penetration. Now, informal credit is a lot mm-hmm. because people borrow money from other people, but that's very difficult to track. Right. You, can't, you can't do that. You can't track that. It's, it's very difficult. Mm. The one common thing across, what's common across African countries is it's very difficult to get a consistent punishment for not paying. <laughs> um, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. And, and if you think about that in the US, where it's like, if you don't pay loan sidebar, I was telling my partner that like in, the U.S. is the country where if somebody tells you you owe them, mm-hmm. you, to, you start looking for how to pay. Like you start like, <laughs> like I, I get worried about missing a bill or some like speeding ticket I didn't see. Hundred percent. Because it would just it would just keep multiplying up. Yeah. They don't chase you to pay money in America. They don't chase you at all. There's they, no need because your your credit history, your credit report is going to be messed up. You're the one. You're going to suffer indefinitely for the rest of your, your yeah. financial future. They don't. They'll just tell you this is the amount right. and this is the date you need to pay. If you don't pay by this date. I remember, um, just a sidebar. Please, um, sidebar to a sidebar, I, my favorite. Okay, you're talking about African lending statistics. The challenge is not being able to punish people for default. Like, right. it just doesn't work. Right. Some people say that's a good thing because M-Pesa or MTM money markets where they're dominant can block you out of the account. Right. That's punishment for you. Yeah, but, but, but that's not really sustainable because basically what that means in regular English is you're relying on the presence of a monopoly. <laughs> but you, you, it's better if it's a regulated thing which automatically happens, even if the market is competitive, right? Because, yeah. Because how, how you do the information sharing if you don't have a monopoly? That strategy wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, 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 other thing, the other thing that's different across African, African countries is the regulation is very different. The answer tends to be very local. In Ghana, Nigeria, if you're a lender, you need to have a license. Mm-hmm. Kenya and Tanzania allow unlicensed digital lending. Um, it's country specific depending on what you need to, to make a loan. That, that ends up being a big right. problem right. for them as well. I'll also add to the point you were raising earlier about inconsistent punishment. In a lot of markets, especially the ones that I'm more familiar with, um, the credit agencies, the credit bureaus are not developed. They're not big. And the systems aren't set up for, aren't set up for them to act in the same way they would act over here. Either they don't they have incomplete information, um, defaults aren't reported to them. Don't think about it as America, where oh of course it's gonna be on Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. Here it may never be reported. A lot of agencies don't even use the bureaus. The system isn't as developed. That leads to some of the issues with the punishment. But if you ask the banks, I'll tell you a different story, which mm. is I try to always think about perspective of the banks, but like it's easy to tell the banks. Um, GT Bank, my favorite Nigerian bank. Yes, um, that's sarcasm, by the way. Yeah. Um, give give customers more loans. But the banks will say, because they have this cash reserve ratio that's very high, we talked right. about this in a previous episode, where in the New York Banks episode, where they have to um, exactly. keep a percentage of their deposits in a central bank right. and not get any interest on it, which means they're less likely to take riskier loans love because it. they have, they're making... It. They're making money on a smaller portion of their um, deposits. So as, as well. that they don't want to give loans. That leads to the opportunity for startups to, to provide the loans. I'm, I'm happy it's set up that way. That's, that's an interesting right. perspective. Yes. Because, I, because, I didn't think you would say that. Because the startups can move faster and iterate and innovate faster anyway. It's an easier challenge for startups to do that than to convince the banks to go against their natural will. In fact, I was having a conversation with my friend, um, Deji. And Deji was saying, um, I'm actually going to look, look at my notes because I had a very good conversation with him. Well, what did Deji say about this? He basically said, it's not in the bank's DNA. They don't want to, to do it. And that creates an opportunity for startups to scale. And they have minimal uh, legacy systems holding them back. Check out Deji Uloye's website. He has a lot of great articles on this. I had a good conversation with him. I agree with him. 
leave the banks, they'll figure themselves out. But yeah, I agree with him that it's going to be tricky for banks to give loans and the market opportunity for startups to give loans is great because the market can move faster. I'm optimistic, but that only applies to Nigeria. That may not apply to other markets. Yeah, I, I actually maybe have a different point of view mm. in that these are the largest, these are the largest pools of capital or capital right. sinks. There's a capital goes to die right. in a Nigerian bank, basically, right. and not be redeploying to the economy. In that one of the one of the downsides, interesting thesis, great paper I read, one of the downsides of all the banking crises we've had in Nigeria was the government response is immediately to increase capital requirements. Which to save the banks and the banking system. Stability. But the other the, the trade-off of that is it, it ruins lending. Right. And it's not like the lending that caused the crisis was done to low-income people, was done to the really high-end old people, yes. but then ruins lending for everybody yes. by increasing capital requirements across the board, but, by making loan requirements more stringent across the board, I'm with you. and it just but kills you, the economy. But if you think about the countries we just spoke about, like we spoke about China, India, Brazil, you can see that there's something about startups, younger, newer companies trying to make a difference. I, I agree with you. Eventually, the banks will come around, but I just think it's going to be much easier to get entrepreneurs excited and trying to solve this problem. The banks, they've had long to to do it are you really going to put all your money on them they're, they're going to be no, super but, slow but overall the story is the same um it's very difficult to get uh credit in many african countries bar kenya bar south africa much more developed ecosystem for different reasons yes in nigeria is extremely difficult and nigeria is the biggest african country by population that right. as nigeria goes still goes the continent north africa is somewhat unique i'll talk a bit about that and talk about the startups because they're predominantly Muslim and Islam forbids um, interest collecting, charging or collecting interest. Mm -hmm. Their credit rates startups have to go around that. Just not as big there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still a, the takeaway from this section is that it's still a big problem. Okay. Like okay. there's still lots of, lots of things to solve for startups and entrepreneurs. Yeah. So coming back from, from that clip, the clip was primarily about lending, but over time, Fair Money has also transitioned to be more of a neobank. We're also going to add a clip from our Neobank episode where we spoke about the dynamics of the banking industry on one of our earlier episodes. Here's a clip about Neobanks and more broadly banking contacts in Africa. So I'm going to go through like what banking looks like today in these Africa's largest economies and then what that means for the opportunity of Africa's Neobanks. So okay, so we're going to do South Africa, Nigeria, and Kenya. Right? Yes, Nigeria, South Africa, and Kenya. Okay, yeah? let's do it. So um, I'll start with Nigeria because, you know. Home sweet home. Home sweet, yeah, somewhat. But Nigeria is a very interesting banking sector. So it's one of probably one of the most reformed, most regulated, you know, go post yeah, change very frequently, filled banks. It's if anything is regulated in Nigeria, it's finance and banking. Like they have strong regulators, mm -hmm. active regulators, compared to almost anything else, say healthcare, agriculture. They have very mm -hmm. active regulators. So they change capital requirements all the time. And depending on what you hear, the banks say it, right? The banks will tell you something <laughs> completely different. The bank will tell you Nigeria is a hard place to do business. And no, but you'd be surprised. I, I look so metric and I realize that, like, they're probably right. Another weird thing about the Nigerian market is it's become increasingly concentrated, right? Yeah. Because they increased, I think, 10-ish years ago, they increased like the minimal capital base that all the banks needed. So there was a bunch yeah. of like mergers and acquisitions. So yeah. it's almost, it's becoming more and more similar to, to New Bank, which is, I guess, context for the broader episode. Uh, if you talk about, in Nigeria, I think the top five banks make 85% of all the profits. In the banking sector, probably right. Standard. No, yeah, yeah, it's a metric for, for that. Like that's just standard. Right. It's the profits right. wise is concentrated. I think assets wise is a bit more distributed and a bit less concentrated, at least within the top three. But the banks will tell you that it's harder for them to make money. So I got some sympathy from the banks from doing this. So first of all, is mm -hmm. Nigerians' cash reserve ratio requirements. So 
banks and mandated mm-hmm. to keep a portion of their reserves, of their deposits, their reserves, the money they collect from customers at the CBN. And it's very right. high in Nigeria. It's probably one of the highest in the world. It was 20, CBN, Central Bank of Nigeria. Central Bank of Nigeria. So it was 28% they make them keep. Customer deposits rise. When customer deposits rise, basically, banks are required to top up their reserves because your reserves, to hit the 27.5% of cut off, you need to keep putting deposits at the bank. But when your deposits drop, Central Bank does not return the money back to them. And that money does not earn any interest at the same time. So you find banks having their effective CRR being 40%, 41%, because the Central Bank uses it to mop up liquidity and manage inflation, basically, by removing money from circulation. So if you have a bank keeping effectively 40% of their deposits at the central bank and no interest, they're not trying to give consumer loans or consumer credits. The people that they charge, they have to charge very high fees. So the banks, the banks are working in a very hard, hard like regulatory ecosystem. Like you have some sympathy for Nigerian banks. You should have some sympathy for them. I have Supposedly. some sympathy for them. And it affects their profitability. Okay. A CRR is one of the highest in the world for that, for that reason. And therefore the banks are then forced we can't make money from lending because we don't have enough capital. So they've moved to derivatives on fixed income. And I saw it start like from in 20, from 2009 to 2019, income from derivatives has gone from 15 to 35%. That's basically all they do now. Basically like options, swaps, government securities, fixed income. Got it. Okay. Okay. What's, what's, what's the, the summary of the Nigeria piece? I, I think I, I got it now. You want to summarize that part? Overall, the banking sector is hard, but the banks will say that the reason why they're not making any money, why they're not able to offer better service is regulation and regulatory uncertainty and regulatory changes. I thought that okay. that part is very, okay. very interesting. Got as it. Well. Okay. Okay. That's a Nigeria piece. Fascinating. If we take a step back of Nigeria a bit and talk about like Africa, we I looked at a measure of banking sector concentration. So basically what percentage of banking assets are held by the top three banks in each country? We'll the quiz okay. time. What do you think the answer is wait. for Nigeria? Or maybe I should do Nigeria last. USA. USA, top three banks. Yeah, percentage of bank assets. 30%. 37. Okay. Yeah. South Africa? South Africa would be higher because it's more concentrated. But remember, it's top three banks. 55%. It's top three banks. South Africa has, you know, maybe four, five, or six big banks even. Ah, right, right. It's top three banks. Right, right. Good. Yeah. So the answers are that the the metrics are mostly similar. So it's 37 South Africa, 36% in in Kenya, 42% in Nigeria. But mm-hmm. in Nigeria, profits are super concentrated. Like the top five account for 85% yeah. of all the profits. So we, it, I see. Our, our, our banking sector, so if you look at I think for Brazil, it's about 80, 75, 80% for the top three banks. So our banking mm-hmm. sector is concentrated um, mm-hmm. from an assets perspective, but not, not nearly as concentrated as, um, as Brazil. Uh, not more so, at least mm-hmm. when you look at the top three. When you expand it to the top five, I'm sure if, if you did that analysis, you find it's concentrated, but less so than others. It's a it's a very fascinating mm. like, like perspective, yeah. right? Okay, cool. Should we talk about other other African countries? Yeah, let's or, let's, or do the bubble up. Yeah, let's let's talk about like I want to talk about South Africa a little bit. I think part of okay. the reason is the profits for the big banks are also very high. I think that's one of the things mm-hmm. you look at. There's a Jeff Bezos quote where he says, your margin is my opportunity. <laughs> the biggest banks in South Africa are clearing 18 to 25% return on equity compared to 9% nice. in the US, compared to even the nice. 18% that was, that made the founders of New Bank angry in Brazil. So the banks <laughs> in South Africa, the biggest ones are incredibly profitable. <laughs> made them angry. Yeah. Made <laughs> angry, them angry enough to, to start a new company. Start a new company, right? So yeah. you find that these margins are very similar in... African countries where the banks are making outside profits. Now, it looks big, but also the cost of doing business, the cost of equity is also higher in those countries. Even though the return on equity seems mm-hmm. high, you want to look at the gap between 
that on the return. But it seems by some measure of math, they are similar, but by other, mm-hmm. by, by other measures, they are not, it's not as bad. I think that's, right. that's a b- really big takeaway here for all these African countries. I was going to say, we should also talk about the broader African statistics. We spoke about this on our first episode, actually, yeah. our FinTech episode. So we said 67% of people in Sub-Saharan Africa don't have a bank account, so they're unbanked. Yeah. And then in Nigeria, it's 60%. And then in most African countries, in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's even higher. Some countries have as high as 70, 80% of people are unbanked. Yeah. And unfortunately, most of the unbanked people tend to live in rural areas, and they tend to, to be female. So unbanked, being banked, being underbanked, however you want to frame it, is a massive issue yeah. across many different sub-Saharan African countries. But if you look at the opportunity for African neobanks is there's so many people, forget the people that are banked, like Olumide, there's right. so many people that are unbanked that there's, it's, I saw 40, only Nigeria, only 40% of adults have a bank account. I'm not surprised. You don't find many people with percentage of only total lending. So I saw in South Africa, consumer credit is 40% of total lending in the economy. South Africa has a much more developed banking system. In Kenya, it's 28%. Mm-hmm. In Nigeria, consumer lending is only 8% of total lending, yeah. right? It's, it's just not yeah. something that is, that is deep or growing. And there's all these different gaps in the market. Like you can assume fundamentally that people need lending, like people need credit. That's almost like food, water, and credit, right? And there are many different pieces as to how people engage with their banks that are coming up in Africa as well. So mobile first generation, young generation, 80% mobile penetration across Africa, 350 million people unbanked. And that makes you go, well, that's, that's an opportunity, right? It, you know, if yeah. everybody has a mobile phone, everybody has internet access, nobody has a bank account, it makes you go, yeah. hmm. I got to think so about you, that. The audience can't see me right now, but I, I'm, I'm dancing. Okay, I have a few issues, a few things to raise. African-specific challenges when you compare traditional banking model with, with, with new banks. Yes, the other side of the opportunity. So traditional banks, you normally have issues, difficulty opening bank accounts. So for example, when I, when I lived in Nigeria, 2012, I tried to open a bank account, two bank accounts, Standard IBTC, one of the big banks, and then GTB. This is the process, and I'm not, I'm not making this shit up. Probably not the process to, anymore, but hopefully not. At yeah. least, who knows? But, well, yes, CTBD. You need to get uh, three references. Why, why, why you need references to open a bank account, I'll never understand. You need to get passport photos. You need to fill a form. You need to take the form to the branch. You probably need to queue for a while, deposit the form, and then wait three days for them to get back to you. I'm not making this up. Wait, it's you, almost, you even add the, utili- almost, the utility bill to confirm your address. Oh, oh, right. Thank you. Yes, I forgot. So I, I, I wish I were making this up. Let's just say there's a lot of difficulty and inconvenience opening a regular traditional bank. Maybe it's changed. This is yeah. six years ago. Maybe not. I doubt if it's changed. Okay. Another issue with traditional bank accounts, high fees. One, one thing that struck me when I moved, because I had a bunch of bank accounts in America and I compared it to Nigeria, just the fees. They have all sorts of fees for different things. Mm-hmm. They even have, I'm not going to get into details. Let's say they have a fee that literally they just charge you every month just for having an account. Ten like, naira, it, it doesn't ten have naira per text message, bro. I've been yeah, trying to, I've been trying like, to unsubscribe from okay. text messages. I don't need you to send me a oh text. Oh my goodness. God. Yeah. Okay. So that's the second thing. The third thing, which wasn't an issue for me, but when I did research, it's actually a major issue is location of banks. So I lived in Lagos. I lived in Nikoi. There were banks everywhere. But apparently it's because I lived in an urban metropolis. If you live in more rural areas, banks are actually very, very inconveniently located and people have to travel a lot to get to banks. And it's funny, like <laughs> you travel a lot to get to a bank. When you get to a bank, you wait in line again. <laughs> so it's like two different things. It's, it's a day it's trip. A distance. It's a day trip. Yeah, it, it's it's a day trip. When um, I did when I did so, my NYC in 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 Oyo State, so it was very rural. It's mm-hmm. four hours from Ibadan. The bank trip oh is I need goodness. to take time off. Yeah, I need to take time off. Going to the city, getting to the bank, join a line, get some money. Right. Worry about stuff getting getting stolen because I have to take money for a while because I don't want to do this trip again. For yeah. 
it's not a pleasant yeah, experience so, if you rather have to go to so, a bank. So to, to, to summarize it, there are a lot of issues, but three big ones the regular consumers face when you compare traditional banks with what could be with new banks is difficulty and challenges opening bank accounts, high fees, location of banks. There are other smaller reasons, but I won't go into them. I'll, I'll say yeah. these are the, the three three biggest ones. Most people would honestly say it's just the fees is the biggest one yeah. out of these three. It's also like lack of yeah. trust. The yes. fees. Those are some of the smaller ones. Too many banks. There's yes, no difference. Yes, like yes. whatever bank and where my bank was, right, right. GT Bank, what's the difference? Right. No difference. Right. Like legacy right. tech infrastructure, everything gets shut down exactly. every now and then. Exactly. Exactly. So I feel like we've done, oh my God, somebody should build a new bank argument. I want to go to mm-hmm. the other side of right. the argument. Like maybe you shouldn't even bother. Right. And, oh, I can't wait. And, and one, of, one of the things is like <laughs> a lot of these countries are, depending on the African country you go to, Africa is not a country. Remember mm-hmm. that. People don't have money. So as of 2018, 86 million Nigerians are you know, below the poverty line, less than $1.90 a day. You don't right. want those deposits. Like maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the question is, right. oh, it, it, how okay. big is the actual market? Well, this is nuance. Are you saying the people that have lower incomes don't need banks? Or are you saying the banks don't want people with such lower income because the, the likelihood of profits are super low? Which of them are you I'm, saying? I'm saying it's a, it's, a, it's a chicken and the egg in that like those people are not profitable to serve. And that's one of the challenges you see in new banks in across the world right. is that they, first of all, they start right. off by siphoning off the worst customers from the banks, which is why they don't notice. Right, they take the bank, the customers that the biggest banks in Brazil don't want in the first place, because they are making three dollars, you know, a day or whatever it is, and they siphon of those worst mm-hmm. customers. And you could argue in Nigeria, like even if you got this eighty-six million people with these numbers, is it a big enough mm-hmm. market to build a big enough profitable business mm-hmm. versus I have mm-hmm. you know three million customers accepting deposits? And that's the yeah. that's the other cynical point of view. Is like if people don't have money, can you build something, a business model, a cost a cost profile? That can allow you to serve these people. It's very hard. So, and it's not it, going to it's be very hard. You're not going to I, I win agree. by stealing people off. You know, it, it, Chime is not taking the customers who need Chase's entire profile of of banking services because they just do more. And if you're a sophisticated customer, you want more from your bank than like a new bank right. on average. So you end up taking off, siphoning off the the worst set of customers, which can only be profitable to you either because you need customer count to raise money, or or you're just not trying to be profitable, you're going to operate at much lower, lower margins. Yeah, we discussed this twice. So you can go and listen to our first ever episode, episode one, afrobilly.com slash fintech. We also discussed a little bit on the Mpesa episode, afrobilly.com slash Mpesa or slash Safaricom. I think the, the comeback would be the way Mpesa built their business model, most of the people that use it were lower income anyway. So that's one comeback, except the other comeback to the comeback is M-Pesa was like a top-down government thing. So if you don't have the government supporting you, how will you like manage the low profitability for long enough before you get scale? And does scale actually solve all problems? If you multiply 100 million by 0.000, it's still almost zero. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting problem. Well, not even zero points. I'm talking negative. Like, uh, I I don't know if I'm a... To win, you need patient investors, long-term capital. Because I don't know if, if when I was in university... Right, and getting an allowance of some sort. I don't know how good a customer I would have been to GT Bank, right? And over time, you can grow. And as I've grown, as I've gotten jobs, you know, gotten money through the system. But if you're a large portion of your customer base, you have to have different ways of monetizing them. What helps? Credit helps. Interchange-based revenue help. Transactions help. You need a sort of a different business model than like I'm taking deposits and I'm doing stuff with it on the back end. It's also that new banks could be successful, but they could be successful without actually solving their own bank's issue. So for example, a new bank just like, yeah, they could just 
get like richer customers and then the richer customers will just use it and then get profitable that way but but the challenge i think and we'll talk about this towards the end when we summarize is a lot of the customers and your banks want that could be profitable may already be satisfied with their current banking services. There's high switching costs to switching banks in Nigeria. And because I, I use a lot of new banks, I use Kuda Bank, I'll talk about it later. I'm not sure the functionality differential is enough to get a lot of people to switch. And anyway. I, 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 we should, yeah, I want to spend. <laughs> this is the summary of the end. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get we'll to that. Back. Yeah, I, I feel like okay. the, 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 the banking opportunity we, we should, you talk about richer customers, and I'm like, well, well, only the only rich person I know who uses the new bank. So I don't know if all your other rich yeah. friends are using the bank. You should ask okay. your rich people okay. good text. We should wrap this section. Marco is, is, is making very good points. Okay. <laughs> one last thing. One last thing I'd like to say to wrap this section is I think for our American audience, for our European audience, for the audience that's not familiar with Africa, here's the story I want to tell about thinking about traditional banks versus new banks. Traditional banks in America and in Europe, they followed like a bank and interaction model that's changed over time. So there's bank tellers, right? You interact with the bank teller. Then you switch from bank tellers to ATMs. Yeah. You interact with the ATM. Then you switch from ATM to desktop online banking. And all these things, they're all happening simultaneously. So it's bank tellers plus ATM plus desktop online banking. Then from desktop online banking, you switch to mobile online banking. And then mobile online banking, you switch to fully only mobile online banking. So actually that last piece, only mobile online banking, that's a new bank. But you see there are like four intermediate steps before then. But in Nigeria and in many African countries, you may be actually able to skip some of these steps. Like I was in Nigeria for a few years. They weren't, the whole ATM phase, the second phase, that whole piece was skipped. Desktop online banking. Oh, so it, didn't, it didn't last so very, it didn't last very, it still exists. It's it, still large volume, yeah, but it didn't it last exists, very but long. It, it didn't last very long. Yeah. So, so the whole, the, the, the future, the hope for new banks is skip all these middle steps, just go straight from the banks to the only online bank, new bank and like help Africans skip all those middle steps and offer them things they didn't have before. That's the, the bright lights for, for new banks if they're successful. Yeah. Successful. For me, it's like there's opportunity because I think, I, I think that there's opportunity because there's so much on bank. And there's business model innovation, there's customer acquisition innovation that is required to capture this. Because I think bank, I, you know, I was a bit cynical earlier on, but I do think banking is a fundamental, fundamental need. It just depends on how you define banking. Right. Because we didn't talk about this right. a lot and we'll go through new banks, but it's Safari common new bank, right? Because they offer yeah. you a wallet and they offer you P2P transaction. And, and when you go through the startups in a bit, it's, it's cheaper cash in your bank because they focus on P2P, yeah. but they also have a wallet. And you have to make yeah, a judgment yeah, at yeah. some point. We can start. I'll just set some quick. I'll, I'll give a, a little bit of an intro before Bankly takes us through the founding stories. Fair Money 2017. What was going on around the world when they were founded? Very interesting. Apple became the first U.S. company to reach a trillion dollar valuation. Now there are a bunch of other trillion dollar companies. It, it's one of those things that shows the importance of tech to society, which is like part of the reason we're doing the podcast. Tesla launched the Model 3. <laughs> I feel like, wait, is that when it was launched or announced? I, I, I don't want to go into all the details, but either Does way. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it matters because Tesla has like a five-year gap between when they talk about it and when they actually release it. Tesla Model 3 is out. I'm, just, I'm currently reading, it may be my recommendation in two weeks. I'm reading the Walter Isaacson's Elon Musk book. A lot of fun stories. Yeah. Those are the two big things in 2017. Apple became the first company to reach US a trillion dollar valuation. Tesla launched the Model 3. But this is an Africa Tech podcast. What was going on in Africa Tech? Flutterwave raised $10 million in Series A. Shout out to Flutterwave. Paystack raised eight to ten million Series A, similar. Mpesa became the first mobile money platform to reach thirty million users, and Mpesa. It was clear at that point that Mpesa 
was going to be something that was much more focused on Africa because they had not so much success outside in international expansion. Yeah. I guess we can talk more about international expansion later. But before 2017, it was unclear whether Safaricom and PESA would be a global thing. But around 2017, it was clear that almost all their users were just from a few countries in East Africa. That's the scene. Yeah. Banco yeah. can now talk about the 2017 launch story of Fair Money and the founders. You know, those were the fun times. Interest rates were low. A lot of <laughs> business ideas that were not suitable become suitable or high return, just given the alternative investment options. It was a good time to be a founder. It's almost like you live in those times and you don't remember. You don't remember like you're living in the best times to be a founder. And now that you're past that and everybody's asking for financials of your company said two weeks ago, and then it was just <laughs> like, hey, I have a vision, payments. And people were like, take my money. Now there's a lot more rigor, which is good and bad. I, I okay. love it. That's why I'm a fan of Ray Dalio. He talks about <laughs> looking at historical information, like go as far back as you can, yeah. 1800s, 1900s, and then also look across the world. So he, he takes a much a broader view of finding data before you make any decisions. And it makes sense, yeah. both globally yeah, and across time. It's in, it's an insane, it was an, it was an insane time. And now that interest rates are super high, you look back and be like, but I'm going to look for a job in GT Bank. <laughs> Yo, um, someone told me you got a, a mortgage at 7.7%. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't, are you yeah. sure that's a good idea? Yeah. That to me sounds yeah. like a terrible idea, but yeah. it maybe depends on the future appreciation of the property. You can probably like, you, you could get another loan later. I don't know, it just doesn't, intuitively with only one data point, it just doesn't sound like a good idea, but maybe I'm a personal finance guy, but that shit triggered yeah. me. When he said the number, I was like, wait, what? Seven point yeah. something? Damn. As um, interest anyway. rates go up, as interest rates go up, we will see a purging or a change in the, a consolidation. We'll see a change affecting the ecosystem. I feel like that's even an episode to do because there are many different intuitive stories. Companies raising down rounds, all uh-huh. these mergers and acquisitions. And basically, how is this rising interest rates affecting African startups, basically? Probably a whole, a whole other story. Anyways, back to Fair Money. We've yes. so many segues in this podcast. Fair Money has three co-founders. Lauren Heine, who is the CEO. Nicola Betozat, CEO. And Matteo mm. Gendro. The last two have actually left in the last two years. That's the company in the last two years, but Lauren is still at Fair Money. So what I'll do is I'll give some background about the founders and the founder story and the launch of Fair Money. Started with, with Lauren. Lauren is Nigerian-German, grew up in Germany. As he tells, he has a Nigerian father and visited Nigeria from time to time, as one does. That's because we've been in, right? Hey, not, not, the, not the nicest part. <laughs> Not the nicest I mean, part of Nigeria. Don't let people in there don't tell you that it's not nice. So I have people that live there. <laughs> I don't just know who said it. If you don't like it, just know who said it. He said it's not the nicest, nicest part. Not the nicest part. That you, so it that is not nice. It's not nice. Benita has Jerry. No, not the nicest means if you look at the nicest, it's not at the top. It doesn't mean it's not nice. Oh, God. It, those Anyways, two things are, are not. Are not uh, back, to, uh, back to my story. Okay, let <laughs> He grew up, Lauren grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And as he tells it, he's always felt like he was going to be an entrepreneur. He talks about his dad and his, his mom. And, mm-hmm. and he just figured out that was what he was going to do. But th- you have to go to school. So he went to <laughs> the Hague University case, of Applied Science. Yeah, just in case it doesn't work you out. Never know. So he had to go to school. <laughs> he went to, he studied law, international and European law. And in university, I saw this interview where he said he started a social network for Africans and diaspora which is like mm. a rite of passage. I know at least one other person has started a social network for Africans and diaspora in, in university in the US. Yeah. And if you're an American listening, this, this is in Europe where you can study laws and undergrad degrees. It's not like America where you have to do some other thing than do it as a grad yeah. degree. So it was actually his undergrad. It's possible in Europe and other countries. Yeah. 
And then after university, I was in Indonesia for a year. That was Strange. a very in- interesting time. But at some point, if you leave Germany and go to Netherlands, maybe Indonesia is not that much different. <laughs> um, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. And then the way he tells it, he launched a food delivery business in Sweden after mm-hmm. that that does healthy foods. And he says the company didn't work out. He learned a lot. He liked the business. Right. But well, these food delivery businesses, of, they just seem to never work out, Bankoli. How come, without fail, it just seems to be always a bad business model. Almost always. It's, uh, it's not, go and ask Naspers, though. There's a whole thing that I've been <laughs> trying to write. Is like Naspers has one of their core thesis, but the, but in part why the CEO is out is building his food delivery businesses across different countries and consolidating resources uh, yes. in a way that makes it profitable. So Naspers definitely thinks that the market disagrees with them. Their market right. is negative on their on their on their market cap, but Naspers definitely thinks that his business is a good business, and DoorDash and Instacart definitely think it's a growth area. So, yes, let's see, maybe maybe a subcategory, or let's say a related category is quick commerce, yeah. and that was got a lot of hype two three years ago, which is now going down. The most prominent players are GoPuff, Joker, and quick commerce for the audience who's Get not familiar. Here. That's like yeah, yeah. exactly. They'll, they'll literally deliver the food or the groceries or the snacks, the alcohol, whatever, in 10, 15, 20 minutes. But food delivery could be 30, 45 minutes. But that business model seems to have taken a turn for the worse recently. So slightly oh, yeah. different but related. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyways, this was also a zero interest rate time. Those were the good ideas. Imagine trying to start something where you need <laughs> I need $10,000 to test it. Like, bro, I don't have the time. Um, he built that, didn't work out. He tells the story now. He says after the startup didn't work out, he had to make a choice because that's what you do. You have to, you could either decide to continue down this path of being a lawyer or going to business and economics or finance or whatever. So he had, mm. he says he had the option of going to LSE for, to do more law or going to Sciences Po, which is a school in France, to do a master's in economics and business. He mm. chose to go to France and Sciences Po. So he went to Sciences Po in France where he decided to study economics and business. And after his master's, this is back to Lauren. And this is important because Lauren is the CEO now and is the main guy, evidently. After his master's, he started an early stage incubator, Le Studio VC. Great name. A startup studio and incubator. Basically, what these things do and how, what they did is they work with people who have ideas. They work with people who have, they come up with ideas themselves and they start it and then they fund it and they operate it. This was, he was there for three years. And this is a core part of the story of Fair Money because that's where he met the co-founders. So Mathieu Jandro, uh, who I'll talk about in a second, and Nicolas, who I'll talk about in another, another time as well. So well, that's where he met the, his, so the studio VC is important to the story because that's where he met the founders of Fair Money. But essentially they work on different ideas and they incubated within the startup studio. And I've seen different numbers. It was there for two, three years, 15 million euros, 20 million euros, investing in companies, coming up with problems, thinking of solutions. And one of the companies that came out of that studio is Predictus or Fair Money. That's one of the things. So it was basically one of those projects where the CEO of the startup studio said, man, this is interesting. I want to do this myself. And he left to go do this uh, as a full-time gig. Um, yeah, it's, I have so many observations. First observation is even though he hadn't worked for that long and was still quite young, he was able to get between 12, 15, 20 million euros to start the studio, which is incredible. Either shows has a lot of rich friends, well-connected, good at communication. That's so very strange because he he hadn't done anything related. He had the startup, which is sort of related, but that's quite strange. It's a lot of money, yeah. even even eight years ago. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Either very good at communications, good relationships, whatever, first thing. Second thing is everything actually happened quite quickly. 
from the time when they started the studio and the time he decided to focus on Fair Money was all within a year, right? So it, things yeah. move very, very, very quickly. Exciting, but also, also very unique, I would say. I don't think we've seen a situation where someone that young started a studio or VC and then was able to pick one of the companies there. Cool, if you can, if you can get yeah. it. It happens a, at least fairly often in these studios where the CEO of the studio becomes like a co-founder. Like yes, people who are yes. Like, it happens fairly often. You're like, this is a great yes. idea. Like, yes, yes. But, but what I was saying that doesn't happen fairly often is someone that young to start the studio. Because based on That's the right. timing, he was probably twenty between 23 and 26. It's uh, quite, quite nice. Because yeah, you're, you're only done cool. like in Indonesia Stock Exchange and the food delivery business for a few months. So everything happened quite quickly. Yeah. Anyways, so Anyways. back to, so that's why he met his co-founders. I'll talk about Matteo mm-hmm. in a second. Matteo, software engineer, former CTO, who left in December 2021, born and raised in France, computer engineering, as one does, mm-hmm. worked at Price Match, worked at, worked at a startup that sold to Booking.com. He tried a number, he tried another entrepreneurship opportunity in digital ads, mm-hmm. and that didn't work, and then he joined Le Studio VC as an entrepreneur in residence. Which yeah. is a great gig, by the way, about doing this every now and then. You just go work there for six months and they pay you an income to think about your idea. It's and cool. there is a underlying behind the scenes soft agreement that they'll fund your startup when you come with a startup. So it's the best. You yeah. get money, you meet a bunch of VCs, and you're likely to fund yeah. your startup when you leave. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. That's Matteo. <laughs> the, third, the third co-founder is Nicolas Bertozat. Nicolas was also French, is French. He was a CPO, founding CPO. He left in May 2023. He was also at the startup studio as the head of product. So basically, just to recap is, Lauren had this very interesting eclectic career path, went to the startup studio, working on ideas. The other two co-founders also worked there. They had this idea and everybody was kind of ready to figure out what to do next professionally. And then they stumbled on this on this fair money predictors idea. The way he tells the story, depending on the version you listen to, is is he there's this version of the story where he says he comes to Nigeria, something can't log in with a SIM card somewhere, and then he decides to start something. Mm. There's a version of where they're looking at different businesses and different ideas to do, and they see this credit opportunity being a big one, and which is probably the more credible, credible story. Yes, that sounds more realistic. Uh, and then they chose Nigeria. And one of the questions why Nigeria is like, well, Nigeria is the one country in the emerging market that one of them has a passport to. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> so, he could come yeah. in without a, a visa. A yeah, it was like, yeah. Like, like, otherwise, yeah. they would hustle him like, yo, bro, what are you, what are you doing here? See, if you know, if you don't, if Nigeria visa is harder to get than any visa. <laughs> and expensive. Um, and expensive. <laughs> yo. 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 Anyways, so they chose Nigeria because at least the CEO can come in and out as he pleases. Um, right. So, so the way he tells it is he just came in and he said he didn't know many people. He, got, he said he got a lot of help from the French embassy as well, which I thought was very interesting. And they knew they were going to be based in Paris and they decided to start off in Nigeria. And they knew they had to figure out a way to do alternative credit scoring for all of these people, which is also interesting. So the way he tells it, they started from first principles, giving up money for free, learning, building a model, and then using that to develop an MVP of a credit scoring algorithm. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I just think that's a bit yes. crazy, but what do I know? I have a lot of thoughts. It's lucky on one hand that 
the country that he had citizenship in, Nigeria, turns out to be one of the big, one of the the biggest African market with a lot of potential, mm-hmm. large population, low financial inclusion. People need money. I, I also like the fact that since they were in the studio, they'd probably looked at a bunch of other businesses and they thought we have all these businesses, but we think this credit loan lending one seems to have the highest potential. Probably because a lot of people want lending, probably because the CAC is probably lower, but whatever rationale they use. So it sort of makes sense. It works. The only thing that's a bit odd is unclear how, was it, was it their best idea? How excited did they feel before they started? Was it, because you know how sometimes you have a very strong feeling. Sometimes you have a slight feeling, you have a gut feeling. From all the interviews I saw, it seemed to be they were partially excited about it, but I didn't get the sense they were like, oh my God, this is going to be the thing. But when they actually launched and they started to see the reception, the numbers, the signups, but I guess everything else in life is like you experiment, you see how it works, and then you get more excited when you see the data. I mean, Slack was originally a video game. I don't think Slack was their <laughs> best idea. Like, they better, yes. But they love it so much. The people that, yeah. the people that joined early and got and sold to yeah. Salesforce for a ton of money, I definitely yeah. not complain that it was not their most exciting idea. It, it, it's, um, it's like, there basically, there are two ways to get into a business. There's one where you feel like a personal, you feel a personal, it's, it's your problem and you feel it personally. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I tried to do accident work. Let me go and solve the problem. Start a business. This sounds much more just like, pure research, technical. We looked at a bunch of businesses and this has the best profile. Either way, as long as it works, it's just very different than some other companies that we've looked at. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very, very different. And one of the added things is, it sounds like they wanted to do lending and alternative credit scoring was like a linchpin of what they wanted to do. And more, more importantly at that time is, I don't even know if that's still true today. A license for a money lender in Nigeria is actually one of the easiest things to get. Like I, I was, there's an article from TechPoint Africa that I will link in the show notes that says, and I quote, to operate a money lending service in Nigeria, one needs to apply to a magistrate court for a license and the mm. appropriate state ministry for the certificate. Mm. Um, required judgments include, required documents include a letter, tax law certificate, an affidavit, company incorporation, and a report from the state commissioner of police. And aside all the paperwork, you need to pay 500 naira officially. Oh my God, that's it? Or... And then it was like, oh, if you pay 15,000 naira and then 20, I was like, oh, dude, this is, oh, wow. This is because to be a money lender in Nigeria at the time was not a lot. So it made sense to come in doing lending, first of all, because the barrier to entry was way lower and come yes. in as a deposit, deposit money bank, which even as a microfinance level requires you to have a significant amount of capital at the start. Also requires you to invest in a bunch of infrastructure at the start, like your core banking software systems and a lot of things. But coming in as a money lender is basically, Yo, I have money to borrow. Who wants? I have money to lend. I hope I get it back. Yeah, Yeah, just don't worry. Don't worry about that. That made sense. This is why I love Afrobilly. They're like different companies coming into the market with slightly different strategies. So we spoke about Branch on episode 68. And the Branch story is similar but different. It was earlier because Branch was a few years before. And the Branch founder, Matt, a Don Kiva, but still ended up with the same strategy. We're going to talk about Carbon. Carbon started out a little bit differently, ended up in a similar sort of place. So all different companies, slightly different stories, all trying to help consumers. It's exciting. And yeah, we can talk more about the story later. But when they started, they were basically a lending app using customer data to figure out creditworthiness. And to be clear, they gave people money without knowing whether they would pay back at the beginning. Right. So that also helps you grow. Yes, um, and they give smaller the amounts initially. I saw yeah. between 10 and $50 or euros. 
small-ish, but I guess if you multiply by a lot of people, you end up being big. But they weren't giving like hundreds or thousands of dollars initially. It was uh, yeah. tens, tens of, of dollars. It sounds like they had the, uh, the data analysis team in France, which low-key is a, is a artificial intelligence and machine learning hotbed. It's a super like meta. Facebook has a big AI center in France and a bunch of well-funded AI startups are in France. It's like, just like a slipper cell. It's like, oh. it's like deep, with DeepMind and Lon- in London, a lot mm-hmm. of those, there's a, been a big European access for artificial intelligence. So the talent exists there to do this kind of complicated, or don't even complicated, to do this kind of credit score. France has the talent, which is like a low-key strength, given that they are based in Paris. Yeah, um, I went to Zurich on a Google work-related trip many years ago, and I was in, it was in, amazing to see the engineering talents in, in Zurich, Switzerland. But I wasn't aware of similar yeah. things in France. I guess it makes sense. A lot of European talent everywhere. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence in particular. There's a lot of predictive work. A lot of the core papers are written by researchers who just live in Paris and are not trying to move. I saw this startup, <laughs> Cyber. There's a startup, one of these new LLM startups that raised huh. like six hundred million dollars. Is like oh god, they raised, they announced the fundraising and they're moving headquarters to Paris. And was like, wait, why Paris? Is like some people don't want to move. And I'm like, I respect that. <laughs> so imagine being like, like the kind of talent you'd be like, yeah, this guy is not moving. The company I just raised like. <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars is going to move the headquarters to Paris because this guy is not moving. This other guy is not moving. Like, we're a Paris-based company now. Like From from where? Activity. From America to Paris? From SF, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. We're doing technical work. We don't have to be in SF. We raise money either way. We just go to go to Paris where people want to live. Mm. <laughs> just hang out. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, mm, like, it's like, cool. oh, can't you just hire them remotely? It's like, they don't want to be remote. They want to be in the office. <laughs> the office is going to come to them. I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> I love it. Um, so then, yeah. so all, all the superheroes came together, and then they decided to do this lending app thing, starting with Nigeria, 2017. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 2017. And they obviously saw something when they started giving out money, and they started doing some modeling on who will repay back. Mm-hmm. And they used all of that to raise a good amount of money. I'll talk about the fundraising in a second. Seed in 2018. Started 2017. 2018 Seed announced or not, not announced, announced-ish. Um, I saw an interview where alluded to it being about a million dollars from the VC studio that he worked at mm-hmm. as well. Speed Invest, new fund, put in a million dollars. Obviously, we'd have formed the first bunch of capital for the startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year after in 2019, $11 million, flourished <laughs> DST Global New Fund, and uh-huh. the same investors came back. Uh-huh. Now, if you know, this, you is know. Bas- this is basically one of those, something is clearly working, that they hit on a vein, and yes. you know they said MPLs are less than 10%, all of that stuff. They, like, something is clearly working. That's good. So very and similar then, to Branch, right? Initial yeah. traction, quick fundraising, extremely, extremely similar stories. Yeah. And then and then the big one, the big one that, that added it to our affability list of episodes to do was when they raised $42 million in 2021. Um, nice. Shout out to Tiger Global, which is Flutterwave, Mono, now, now Fair Money. Mm. Also the same partners from the Series A, Flourish, DST Global, and all the existing partners all came back again. So there's a, clearly a common belief with new people and the old people that this is going to be a big thing. It's about $53, $54 million that they have raised in total, which is right. significant. Yeah, and there were some rumors that the Tiger round was had a valuation between 150 and 220 
um, million. So quite large valuation considering this was four years after they started. Very, very nice. Yeah, what I always, whenever I hear these valuation numbers, I try to compare it to public companies, which yes. which you always say is like, it's not a good comparison. Sometimes, it's actually yes. a great one. You have to, you have to get it's discounts. A, it's a great one because you have to know where you're collecting your money back. Because, <laughs> because I, it, you have to believe, for me, you have to believe that it's bigger than XYZ public company. Right? That's what mm-hmm. you have to believe. Like you, you benchmark to public companies and $200 million right. is just a lot. Like it's just it's a lot. lot. But for, for if sure. it's growing very well, who cares? Like if it's growing... 50 percent per annum. Like any, any, almost any valuation makes sense, right? At that, yeah. At that, at that growth rate. I, I'm not going to just because I'm not saying it's not a good comparison for public. I'm just saying you have to take a haircut because the valuation in these rounds are based on the investor rights given to the lead investor Tiger. Yeah. But common equity, anyone can get it, so you don't get the same rights. If you go and buy GTP stock on NSC, you don't have the same rights as Tiger. So yeah, even taking the other direction, interesting. We're going to take which is like, oh, you should pay more because it's early stage and it's like ah, the upside no, is no, big. No, You're no. like, you should pay less. No. Yeah, so you take a little um, bit of a haircut for the comparison. Yeah, yeah but so, ah, please go ahead. No, I'm just 200 million. If that's about valuation, it's 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 a lot, but that's what. That's the going price. I always tell people like, yes, this <laughs> price is not to this price. That's just the price. Sorry, it's expensive. Ah, that's how they sell it. That's yeah, the price. and they haven't raised any money since, right? Yeah, but there are talks about them raising money because of some acquisition and they're mm-hmm. raising or they've raised and people are raising. They're just not telling us. But where the market that they're playing in now, it's it's very competitive. There's a lot of like branch and Fair Money and Kuda Bank. Carbon. Everybody's running the same thing and Carbon. Like yes, so they are, they are not they are not fighting lethargy. They are fighting each other, which is fantastic for, sure. for the consumer. And because they went to India, I'll talk about the Jew expansion in a second. The Indian market also has a lot of established fintech lending, new bank companies. Either way, a lot of competition. I wish I could say there was some specific advantage or differentiation in their products, but it's almost exactly the same thing as branch. The companies may tell you it's different. But to an end consumer, it's 99% the same on the outside. What could be different is the behind the scenes risk assessment, risk monitoring, credit worthiness. But to a regular end consumer, the future set is 99% exactly the same. Don't let them yeah. bullshit you. Okay, yeah. should I talk about Geo or anything else? Yeah. You see on the no, talk about, geographical, talk about geographical expansion. Just to wrap on the founding story is it's very step, it feels very step by step. Like startup studio, found an idea, relatively much of idea, found an idea, go ahead and execute on the idea. And all of a sudden, it's a business. That's good. So, good founding story. Very linear. Yes. Oh, it good, feels very linear. linear from the outside. I'm sure that Lauren may disagree. The only part with which we don't have that much information on Bankoli is all the co-founders, not all, the two co-founders left, which is a bit strange considering from the outside, the company seems to be getting more and more successful. For example, let's spend a little bit of time on this. Let's pick... Let's pick the CTO, right? So he quit around yeah. 2021. And mm-hmm. now he's still doing something cool. He's a CTO of another company. It's like a French real mm-hmm, estate mm-hmm. landlord super app. But yeah. weird, he would leave literally after they had raised like 13 million and they're about to raise 40. So I, I don't know. You never know what mm-hmm. happens behind the scenes, but a bit strange, some signals. Not yeah. quite. I would say. I would say I find, it's probably like he doesn't want to be going to Lagos. Have you imagine being born in Paris? You have to go to that Lagos airport, Lagos airport <laughs> every day. And Mumbai airport is is nicer, but it's still chaotic. You still have to go through those airports. And it's like I just want to work in Paris with Parisians. Like that's maybe personal stuff is also can be a factor. Like I yes. that seems like a low hanging fruit to blame it on, which is like 
Dude just didn't want to travel anymore, man. We just the tired airport. of Lagos. Yeah. Oh, fine, the airport costume is co-founders, yes. <laughs> and then I won't go through the exact same thing, but the other co-founder also did the same thing. A bit, not quite. We've looked at some other companies where the founding core team has been the same over time. This, it's only Lauren that's still running the company. Neither good nor bad, just an observation about the founding story. All right, I'll do the, the Jew yeah. expansion. This is very, very short. Normally it's very long. So they were founded in 2017. Up until 2020, Nigeria was their primary market. And in Nigeria, they offered lending. They also started to do more digital banking and financial services features. Around 2020, they announced they would expand into India, which is awesome. Obviously, India is one of the biggest countries in the world. Large economy, people like lending, similar dynamics in terms of in terms of the ecosystem, and in India they played the, they had the exact same uh, playbook. Start with lending, and then over mm-hmm. time start to add more and more new bank features. And the amounts they were given for the loans was also similar, ten ish dollars to fifty ish dollars in India, which was the same ten to fifty dollars they gave in Nigeria. Now, just to be clear, they can give loans up to three hundred to five hundred dollars after you repaid a lot. It starts off low, and then based on the repayment rate, they increase the, amount, the size of the loan you can get. And they ran the exact same playbook in Nigeria and India. Yeah, I found I found the India thing very interesting because he said an interview where, how did you pick India versus Ghana or Kenya? And he explained that it was, it seemed to me like it's basically regulatory cost. Like Ghana says, and I quote, the Ghanaian market would have attracted regulatory costs of up to $500,000 compared wow. to $200,000 in India. While Kenya also seemed like a good choice, he did not see how his startup, Haney did not see how his startup could realistically compete with M-Pesa. So it's Mm. basically that the cost of doing business in many of these African countries do not not reflect the opportunity or don't justify for the opportunity. On the flip side, however, is low barrier to entry means a lot of competition as well. Like it's it's a trade-off, but obviously he has all the data and he made the trade-off that India is better than Ghana or Kenya or, or any of these other countries. Yeah, d- d- smart people can uh, reach different conclusions even with the same data. Because if you look at Branch, episode 68, they are in Kenya. And Kenya is, they started off in Kenya. They continue to be in Kenya. It's not their biggest market. Nigeria's the biggest market, but similar product, but they decided to be in, yeah. in, in a different geo. So it depends. We'll see how it all evolves. So that's the geo piece, very short. Partnership strategy. As you would expect, most of their partnerships have been ways to get customers at scale. Because right mm-hmm. now, with fair money, they get uh, customers one-on-one on one. It's a typical B2C, and then the CAC for that may not scale as well. Let's look at some examples of their major partnerships. In 2020, they partnered with MTN to offer loans to customers. I was like, fine, I'm surprised MTN would let them do that. MTN should just give the loans themselves, but well, whatever. I'm sure MTN were like, oh, this is straight bottom line margins. We don't need to do anything. But I don't I think PSBs do can give lending. I don't think PSBs can do lending. MTN? I don't think payment service banks can do lending. I was saying, I'm not sure why they would partner with someone else, but Bankly raised the point, maybe they don't have the right licensing and they need to find some sort of financial services or banking or partner to actually do the loans. Intriguing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. this enabled Fair Money get more customers at scale through a partner. They probably have some revenue margin sharing agreements, whatever. They did something similar with uh, AXA Mansard, which is like an insurance company. And that offers yeah. insurance. And then in, or- in addition to offering insurance, you also offer loans. It's basically... B2B partnerships to get more customers at scale than they share the revenue with the partner. Obviously, in this case, the partner should already have a lot of customers, which means telcos or banks or insurance providers. Mm-hmm. Mark, any thoughts mm-hmm. on the MCN or Mansard uh, partnership? Yeah, I, I, we won't have to think how big are those and 
how, what other kind of marketing do they do to acquire customers? Because even if it's B2C, it's still noisy. Kuda Bank has the billboards everywhere. Everybody's <laughs> buying Facebook ads and Instagram ads. Like It's still noisy and expensive mm-hmm. to acquire customers. And I don't know if any of those would have been less really big. Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the M10 one is like, a big game changer and like people are using it or maybe the other one is big big game changer for them but i'd be yeah. curious about that same it's a it's one of those things that i like the idea of partnering with someone that has a lot of customers but depending on how the numbers shake out it may not be to your benefit you may be cannibalizing customers you'd already have gotten but they're lower margin customers because you, you you do some Margin pass through to the cost to the to your business partner. It, it depends on, on the specifics. But if you can segment the customers, it would have been hard or difficult for us to get those customers. In which case, it's all gravy, maybe. But it's, I, I've done these exercises where it's very very difficult to segment customers cleanly. There's just always overlap. All the customers are in part mm-hmm, of different segments. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are the major partnerships. We also have some other minor partnerships with Paytm in India to do this the same type of thing. Obviously, with Flutterwave and Paystack to enable the payments infrastructure. But the big ones are with telcos and with insurance providers to get more customers at scale. All right, so that's partnerships. Let's do M&A. Now, they've only done one acquisition over time, and this is actually, I love this, so we can spend a lot of time on this. Around 2023, they announced an acquisition for Payforce, P-A-Y-F-O-R-C. And Payforce was basically a merchant's payment service provider for small businesses in Nigeria. So all that, a lot of words, but really they were primarily, they give merchants POSs and enable those merchants act as agents. And an agent would mean the merchants can now sell telco credits, airtime, all those things. It's both enabled the agents get money faster with POSs and make some additional money by selling airtime and credit agent services. So very yeah. smart idea. That's what Payforce was doing. Yeah. Uh, back, any, any thoughts before I go into I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. Any early thoughts before I go into all the detail? The, there's two ways to look at I look at pay for, Look at it from the Payforce angle, right? Of mm-hmm. This area of giving customers, giving merchants POS devices, either just to accept payments or either just to be agents themselves as mm-hmm. an other business line is very full. Like I, oh I was my in God, Lagos everyone does this. Everyone I was in Lagos two weeks ago, the random woman across my, my parent's house that sells fish from a freezer and rice <laughs> and beans by the cup. It basically has three, has three POS devices in front right. of her. What I try to get out catch is like, try this one, try that one. I'm like, I didn't give you, I was like, did they give you all of this stuff? She's like, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Good, you know, she just picks the one that she uses based on rates. And what she negotiates with me as well for how much I pay for cash. So it's a very crowded space. That's from the pay force angle. I can see acquisition from the fair money angle. I can see it as it's a new business line and the line between individuals and businesses is blurred. And, and yes. it's definitely the same thing. It, it just that's makes, a, that acquisition makes a lot of sense. Like Bank Police says, fair money primarily focused on regular everyday consumers, aka retail consumers. Pay for is primarily focused on merchants' businesses. But at the end of the day, some of those merchants act like regular consumers. And why not also offer loans and credit and other tools to those merchants? So Fair Money is basically using this as a way to get more businesses to use their, their services, primarily loans, but in the future, other things as well. So it sort of makes a lot of sense. I wish they disclosed the actual amount. Unfortunately, it was undisclosed. But a lot of my feelings about the acquisition would change based on the amount they paid. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't that expensive. Because Payforce, no. they seem to be doing reasonably well, but not that well. So I'm, I'm curious. Haven't they I'm raised sure about $4 million themselves? So Payforce themselves, or part of Crowdforce, has raised about $4 million themselves. It yes. wasn't not nothing. It yes. was said to be cash and stock deal. But cash and stock basically can mean like, 
Yes, three thousand dollars for your business class flight. You now, you now, you now, you product. <laughs> product of fair money. Even once you can even call you co-founder product. <laughs> Anything you want. <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are here with us. We are all together in this. We are all in this together. <laughs> Why did I sing that? Right. It's TBD on that, but but it's uh, m- many of these. We are seeing a number of these being announced now. Google Host and Sendchamp and and then these ones as well is. It clearly from the outside in though, this has a unique perspective of even if we were boom times, it would probably still make sense. As it a makes a lot of sense. It's like so yes. it doesn't it doesn't feel very cyclic cycli- uh, cyclicality driven. It doesn't feel very much like, oh, it's a tough time for businesses, so let's sell. Even though it probably is, but it it feels very much like it would make sense in any version of the world for them to be able to go after a bigger market working together than an apart. Yeah, and if you listen a lot about Fabulity episodes, you just know like these merchants, what do they really need? They need more money to scale their businesses. And more money is a fancy way of saying loans. It makes sense. So the, the sellers win. Pay force, it was clear they were a very competitive market and they need a way to scale. So it makes sense for them. And fair money primarily had retail consumers. They wanted to get more business consumers. It makes sense for them. It's like a win, 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 depending on the actual price. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And they made a whole branding moment around it. There, there's like a YouTube video. The articles that was clear was written by the head of comms at Fair Money. I like the, the way they package the deal together. Longer term, let's see how it works. Also, the CEO of Payforce got a senior-ish position at Fair Money as expected. Sounds like a very nice acquisition for a complimentary, complimentary company with a similar product. Yeah. Not, not, not yes. similar, but it, it all fits together in a way that makes sense. Yeah, it makes you even more bullish about uh, Fair Money itself, right? Because you're like, on paper, they right. have a pool, they have an engine First of all, they're acquiring some customers, but they have an engine that they can hopefully use to acquire a segment of customers that they have historically had a strong value proposition for. Yes. Uh, Now they have a strong device-based value proposition for that set of customers. Correct. Correct. And it differentiates them a little bit from Branch, episode 68, who does not have this angle in the same way. Although we're going to talk about Carbon soon. Carbon does do this as well. It makes them... Uh, less similar to Branch, but more similar to Carbon, except Carbon have been doing this for longer. So watch out for our episode 70 on Carbon. All right, team strategy, short and sweet. Majority of their employees are in France, Nigeria, and India. Now, obviously, the founding team, they were French, they were based in France, so they still have a bunch of governance, strategy, and product development happening in France today. In Nigeria, most of the team is in Lagos specifically, obviously, because Lagos is the most commercial part of Nigeria. And those teams primarily focus on loan processing, risk management, and customer service. And then they have a small team in India because they launched in India in 2020. And it seems the India team does a little bit of customer support, but they also seem to do some product development and engineering. Some of the product engineering is happening in France, the majority of it, but they seem to be doing a little bit in India as well, which, which makes sense. Obviously, the customer service needs to be Indian team to serve the Indian customers. But I was a little bit surprised by some of the engineering being in India. So it's still, majority of it is in France, but a little bit in the India way well. the, the way they describe it, they're fully remote. They have a par- headquarters in Paris, Lagos, mm-hmm. Bangalore, Berlin, Riga, Poland, Italy, Estonia, UK. They have people working every, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere, right. Yeah, I know. 350 employees, which is significant. And they're wow. saying they want to double this year. I don't know, 2023 or 350 employees is a lot, wow. and and a lot of a lot of their a lot of their leadership is now at least they they have been able to hire really experienced people, but mm-hmm. also so did 54 Gen. I don't know, I know. The CPO used to work at Gojek. The CFO used to come from Barclays, and they have a, a number of just 
dif- different. They seem to have like a really deep bench of really experienced people for the products that they're selling. I like that part a lot on the team stuff. We'll see. Same. But at my sense is Paris is the hub. For and sure. everybody sure. kind of anchors in Paris and it's probably easier to get to places from Paris than it is from Lagos to Bangalore. It's probably easier to get from Paris to Lagos and Paris to Bangalore than it is from Lagos to Paris and Lagos to Bangalore. So Of course. Easier, shorter, and cheaper. Win, win, win. Cheaper win. as well. Yeah. Way, way so cheaper. So that's a oh big God. part of it. Don't get me started. When I noticed something a few years ago. It was very odd. If you, the exact same trip, Lagos to SF, SF to Lagos, is more expensive if you start in Lagos. Everything oh, yeah. is just more expensive because obviously because of demand and supply, but it's very irritating to do the same trip starting a different place, which is much more expensive, not even slightly expensive. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we'll come back on topic. Otherwise, I'm going to shit on the Lagos airport. I don't want to. Okay, traction, data, stats. Now, to yeah. me, the most important data set is the NPL data. So I'm going to go through everything. I'm going to start with NPL. For the audience who's not familiar, NPLs, non-performing loans. They're basically loans where that have been written off. They think the borrower is unlikely to pay, they're not gonna pay, so they write them off, and that's NPL. NPL is specifically important because it shows the amount of people that have defaulted or are likely to default. So it was hard to get any data. All we know is around 2021, Fair Money said it was less than 10%. So not specific. I don't know if I trust that information, but that's what they said. Let's go with it for now. I wish it was a little bit more specific. Less than 10% is not so bad. But for a developing market, it's sort of good. In America, it's bad. So that's the data set we have on that. I wish we had more data. Let's talk about the other data sets. Loan volume dispersed. 2019, around 40 million, they dispersed of loans. $40 million. Mm-hmm. 2020, around 100 million. They claimed they were the largest lender in Nigeria. Funny enough, a few months before, branch claimed they were the largest lender. So it's like everyone is claiming slightly different things. 2021, they dispersed $300 million of loans. Incredible. And then in terms of number of users... Around 2021, it was around one-ish million. 2022, one to three million. Depending on the data source, you believe they have one to three million users and they've dispersed around $300 million of loans. Incredible. I just wish I had more data on the NPL. Yeah. That's, that's, to me, is the most important part of it. Yeah, but also even on their fundraising, it does seem like they, they, don't, they haven't announced, we'll talk about this in the product strategy, they haven't announced any dedicated debt rounds. I just didn't see any. But mm. if they're funding $300 million a year of loans off $42 million of fundraising. Some of that is going to go through actually running the business and putting people on business class flights from Paris to Bangalore and to Lagos, right? You're going to look for, so you're going to see that the, for all of this to be true, they're either taking debt separately, I'm not talking about it because it's just a business doing the regular commercial transaction, or the mm. turnover on the money that they're raising is incredibly ter- incredibly like high, which is great, which is mm. positive, given that they're giving loans for two weeks. So basically loans will have to skew shorter and more frequently for them to even be able to take $20 million of loans, right. $20 million of capital and turn it to $300 million of loans. That's like $300 million of, of, of disbursements. So you have to basically loan that 20 out around uh, multiple times. Run around. Knowing that you lose some to MPLs again. So you, you have to loan it out at a much faster clip to make that money. I find that yeah. whole growth very interesting on their revenue metrics. Same. Very interesting. I would bet they've raised some debt that's just not announced. It just sounds... It sounds a bit risky to use either equity or use the exact same debt book and roll it faster, but I don't know. I'm not so familiar with the business, yeah. but if I were betting, if I were them, I'd raise debt, but that's just me. The other thing about raising debt too. It depends on the confidence, is, the rates, the time. When did you do it? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. You raise it in I, dollars, you give it out in, in Naira. Yeah. It's now, a th- I checked a few hours. Yeah. It, it's a thousand Naira to a dollar. What if they raise this Yo. one? It was seven. There's so many issues that can happen. Yo. Inflation is 27%. I checked yesterday. Yo. What a shit show. 
Yo, and if you raise that, the biggest thing, inflation, all those things, you can kind of see coming. Devolution kind of see coming. So they probably will have hedges in place for that as far as keeping dollars and whatever. Yeah, but the hedges aren't it's, free now. You have to pay for the hedge. That's another cost. If you, you can price it. If you, you can price <laughs> it. It's expensive, down. So but things, you can price it. <laughs> things you can price are kind of yeah. fine. Like risk you can price. You can decide right. if you want to do the business or not, right? As, as callous as that may sound. However, it's the things you cannot price, like the Fed increasing rates that you cannot price accurately and that you're stuck. Even if you took floating debt, and because you're in a competitive market here, you're not going to charge way higher for rates than other people. Like, it's just tough. Um, right. So I've, and it's almost always floating. It's not like a house in America where you can get, like, fixed. No, no, no. This is, they keep it floating so you can also eat some of the risks. Because sure. some of the audience may be like, oh, bank is saying float. Why don't they just get a fixed loan? It doesn't work that way at this, at this scale. Yeah, if you want to get fixed, maybe it's your family's money. <laughs> if you want to get fixed. Fixed. Long term rate. Maybe you give them, week. Maybe you give them one kidney and you put inside freezer so that when you pay back, you'll give you the kidney what back. It's mm. fixed. Are you crazy? So we'll, we'll it's eat very all the hard. Risk. Yeah. Yeah, you want to use it to be you want to be to be borrowing people money. In India. <laughs> in India. You come to Goldman Sachs office in New York and say you need Oh, um, for me, those are the kind of details on the metrics that break up. One thing to talk about, though, um, for me is the apps and the app volume installs, right? So mm -hmm. first year, this is also interesting. First year, they had 150,000 downloads. Um, mm -hmm. In the first year, where they had done only 5,000 loans, they had 150,000 downloads. So, And growing, growing, 2023, less number is 10 million plus downloads Oof. that they have. Like that's incredible. That's for me, that's like, that's a crazy high number. 10 million plus downloads, but 1.3 million customers. There's just a lot of stuff happening there that right. somebody can explain, but I don't know. They're probably they're probably not giving loans to people that are signing up. There's a large percent of people that are just signing up and they're like, oh, you don't qualify. But I didn't expect the delta between the loans and the downloads to be so wide. And I, and I know they don't double count. Those number of downloads yeah. are unique. Even if you have four devices, if you log in, it's bankcolor.com, mm. it'll be the same download. It's not about duplication of accounts. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, Kuda has fewer, fewer downloads, and I saw a post from two days ago that they have six million customers, but I mm. don't even know what's happening. But you know what I always say is basically, I try to make sense of it, but there are many things that are unknowable, and I can go on with the rest of my day not knowing them. I know. But also, somebody can explain to me, it's good. Also, don't get me started with the terminology. There's like number of registered users and there's number of users that have taken out loans and there's number of users that have paid back loans. So when I was given the one-ish million, that's actual users that have taken loans. But you may see somewhere else a much larger number, but that's registered. I don't care yeah. about registered. You must take an action, right? You must actually do, yeah. you must take some sort of action with the app. Registration is, is not good enough. So there's downloads, yeah. registration, then an actual action. Anyway, any, any other yeah. uh, data points on metrics you want to talk about? Nothing else. Nothing else to talk about product strategy, actually. Let's go. So I want to talk about how the product works, what they do, We've touched on some of it a little bit. So it's primarily accessed through an app. I could even find an online version. As a sidebar is, Kuda Bank has an online version. Yes. And one yes. of the things I find, the reason why I haven't signed up for the online version, do you know why? Because when you sign up for the online version, you can't make transactions in your bank in a day. So they block your account no. because it's like a safety thing. And I can imagine Nigeria over indexes on safety. But yes. the problem is the only time I remember is when I want to actually use my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> I never sign up for that because I'm like, oh, I need to send money to somebody. And I'm like, oh, let me do it on, my, on the web. Let me sign up for this web thing. And then I can't send money for a day. It always Done. ends up being like something I never do. Maybe I'll do it today. Um, yeah. 
And I saw Fair Money finally announce their iOS app because I always make fun of on our branch episode, branch only have an Android yeah. app, but it seems they've reached a point in the product scale where they feel like it's worth, the trade-off is worth it. So obviously for most of their history, only Android, but it looks like they're about to launch an iOS app too. Or, or you have access to talents in India that can make an that can reduce the cost of an iOS app relative to what the competitors have, to be honest. Fair. Okay, the app has 589,000 reviews on 4.2 rating on average. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Bank has 5 million plus downloads and 4.4 rating. It's, it's kind of in the same ballpark, right. but, but we'll see. How does the product work? How does the product work? So people through the app can give them permissions to read your phone and people can borrow the equivalent of $33-ish. If you pay and repay on time, you're always able, you can borrow as much as $400. Yes, I saw that. So it scales up quite nicely. Yeah, interest rates vary depending on repayment periods and other factors. It it is very, very high, the interest rates, right? Yes, Um, because of the risk. It's fine. It's the market risk. It, it, it's fine. Basically, if you borrow, you can borrow more money because you can borrow. They also do the credit scoring themselves in-house. I try to find examples of if they use a partner or anything. It seems like they do everything in-house. In-house, just like which, Branch. Yeah, just like Branch, just like even the ones that do it independently. It makes of you course. start to go, I don't know, man, is it that easy or is it that hard? That it's hard? Cool. Yeah, I am still skeptical. Maybe, yes. you know how you have the curse of, of knowledge? You'd be like, this is a very tough problem. That yes. maybe some people are willing to take more risks to learn as they progress. So Yes. Bankoli said something on the branch episode that he thinks the primary signal to give higher loans is repayment of existing loans. And whatever amounts you give initially is just a cack. You just eat it. Because the kind of data they collect, let's go through it. Yeah. Geolocation to make sure <laughs> you're actually in the country you say you are. <laughs> Contact list to see the different kind of contacts. SMS to see if your salary is reporting via text. Installed apps to see what other types of apps you use. Specifically, they want to see if you use like gambling apps, gaming apps, mm-hmm, financial mm-hmm. apps. They see storage to see <laughs> if you're running out of space. They see battery. To see, they check out your calendars. It, it's just intriguing. Yeah. I don't know. Are those good signals? I don't know if they are, but it at least sounds comprehensive. <laughs> yeah. There's a website. I have two things to say that. There's a website called Spurious Correlations that keeps track of correlations and you will be stunned by the things that correlate together and then through common sense these are not Obviously. related no, no like the amount of pigs the amount of pigs in Idaho has nothing to do with interest rates but like they chart each other or whatever right or whatever it's two things right. you find lots of things like right. that that's that's one you find correlations wherever you see them right and even if they're able to go ahead and, and do all of this stuff I, the incentive is for gaming is super strong and I, I'm going to share this in the show notes there's a there's a Instagram reel I saw of one of those comedians saying, we rich people will not tell you how we make our money, right? <laughs> but let me give you, it says, it says, let me give you one or two secrets. It says, it says, it says how many loan apps are in Nigeria? It says, there are more than 1,000. <laughs> so, starts with Pampe. Bro, 5,000. They go to Money Points, collect 10,000, and then you pay Pampe back 5,000. You have how much? You have 5,000. Now, free money. <laughs> <laughs> then you go to you go to Ope, collect fifteen thousand, you pay the ten thousand, you still have your five thousand. But by this time, your your limit on Pampe is now twenty thousand. That's how we do <laughs> the entire thesis is cycling through loan apps. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, they have it now. Now some of them are like there's a credit bureau. They're all trying to put data in the credit bureau to see how that's possible. Right. But there's right. people figure those things out basically because right. you can use somebody else's in your household. It's just many different things. We just don't have a right. strong identity layer, or credit layer here, and right. that's how rich people. That's how we rich people. <laughs> that's one of our secrets yeah. to wealth. Is lending apps. I heard about this company, Blacklist.ng. And Blacklist, they couldn't wait for the credit bureaus to get their shit together. So all the app does, all they do is, these are the people, you should never give them a loan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, that's all the company does. If you see yeah. Bakole, Bakoju, just run. Don't, just run. Don't, give <laughs> Don't even think about so, it. <laughs> oh. so, it's, so it's basically on those, yes, those are harder, but the, the, for me, it's a... It's, uh, it's expensive, but this is what risk capital is supposed to do, is to take risks to mm. figure it out. So, yeah. and it's been 2017, it's been six years of building these models and predicting. So they've learned some things. Maybe they've Hopefully. gone through phases. Was it branch that said they lost a lot of money at the beginning because people were scamming them and then they figured it out. And maybe these guys have had their own scenarios. They haven't really talked about it. And then they figured it out. But it, it, it scares me. The credit scoring part scares me. But I, I, I spend a good chunk of my day at work on these kind of problems that I cannot imagine doing it with money. I do I do these problems on a very different scale with different purpose with very I can't imagine doing it with actual money. So it's a challenge with actual money, but that's what risk capital is for. So good on them. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they do is two things that are interesting. I want to get your thoughts on is they have savings products on like CUDA, but like branch, like yes. fair lock, fair save. They give you different levels of interest depending on how much, how long you're willing to lock your money up for, how restrictive you want it to be. Yeah, they also pay reason. interest. They also pay interest as well. And I and I was thinking, does Kuda Bank, Kuda Bank doesn't pay me interest though. Do you get interest <laughs> on Kuda Bank? Not on your checking account, but if you, they have like savings products that you can pick. But I never signed have it you, because- Have you done the savings? I have, I use, I no. use, they have this auto save feature where, where you send, where you send money on Kuda, you can put a percentage to go into your savings account. If I send 20,000, it saves 2,000 basically. Yes, bu- buckets. Um, buckets or whatever. Right. I've never received interest there before. I've no, never seen interest. The, the saving bucket is even in the savings accounts. All the terminology ah. is all over the place. But okay, so they don't give they don't give interest. But this guy is giving interest. This guy's giving interest. Don't worry. Fair money, I'm coming. Last week I was on the open branch, but fair money is that you people you you will save me better than this Kuda bag. I don't have time for this rubbish. And they have so I find the savings product being interesting, and I also find the fact that some banks don't do it, like. Bank of the Free, Pemtransaction Bank don't do interest. They probably make a lot more money from the float than these guys because these guys have to pay interest based on their business model. So right. you could make of that what you will. Maybe that's some differentiation because they're about to lose a customer, to be honest, because I need my interest. Um, <laughs> I found that the savings distinction between them and competitors very interesting. The final part is on their payments card. They say they give 2% cash back. And me, I don't even know how true that is, but that's where they have me because the money I spend in Lagos, if you give me 2% back, I'll use it to, I'll use it, I'll use it to improve my life because 2% cash back in Nigeria on everything you spend on a Nigerian card. It's nice, card, man. Like, it's unheard it's of. Nice, it's unheard eh? of. It's unheard usually, of. I don't even know. Usually you get zero. I don't know how, I've not even seen anybody even propose to offer it and I went to their website, went through all the docs, I couldn't find any information. I couldn't find any, any gotchas like 2% cash back paid in, in, in Zimbabwe dollars that you can mm-hmm. receive after six months or whatever, but I couldn't find any information, but they are about to acquire a customer, no doubt in my it, mind. Um, it, I haven't used it myself personally, but I love the idea because even in developing markets, even in US and Europe, it's rare you get cash back on a debit card. It sort of yeah. makes sense. And 2%. But, Two percent ah. is nice, but, but but you know we said it on the branch episode. I'm just like, 
all because of the devaluation, I'm always, the feature that I would like that I would actually use, although I'm in a privileged position, mm-hmm. is like convert all my Naira to like a stable coin in dollars. Mm-hmm. The problem with all these things is because it, 28% inflation, devaluation is a thousand. It's hard to make it's hard to make progress with the Naira, unfortunately. But anyway, when I point is valid. when I go to spa or shoprite, is naira I'm spending. The naira has to be in my account for me to swipe the card and spend it. Give me two percent cash back every time I go to shoprite. That's you're even going no. far. Give me two percent cash back when I go to spa or shoprite. That's yeah. crazy. Spend some ten thousand naira and get some money back. Yeah, they yeah. feel me now. Yeah, it's what I always say on all these episodes, like personal finance OS. Everyone is trying to offer. I just like the fact they started with lending. Lending has a clear business model where you can make money, the, the interest interest fees. Now, adding all these other services, they're not going to make as much money from them, but they'll reduce churn, which becomes important over time because the churn numbers for these apps must be off the chain. So it makes sense. Start with lending, I, I, add the rest of I the OS. And reduce CAC as well. And reduce CAC, exactly. Churn it because they're, they're about to acquire. They're really about to acquire me. <laughs> honestly, I'm not even joking. Two percent cash back and all this interest. Because yes, last week I was going to open branch. I had it to do. Well, now I've mm. research fair money. I'm going to open fair. Maybe next week I'll research carbon. Carbon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll open carbon as well for the next episode. I, I remember yeah. when we did our chipper cash episode. They were also offering some sort of cash back. But after they started to face some difficulties, they pulled back. Chipper cash. I collected that one. I collected that one too. I collected that cash back too. It was five hundred naira for something new customer. I collected it. Thank you. We had crazy discounts on airtime. I used to get alerts 20, 30, 40, 50%. And then they had like a cash back thing as well. But theirs was a cash back on a virtual dollar card or something like that. Not an actual debit card. But anyway. Similar, but different. Everyone is trying to do the same thing. Own the customer by giving them a bunch of features and then hope they don't churn, hope you have lower CAC. The only difference with Chipper Cash is Chipper was more into remittances and crypto, but crypto is banned in a lot of African countries. So customers want it, but the government doesn't want it. So Yeah. So that's basically a bunch of things that they do. The final part we talked about this earlier is they seem to be lending off their balance sheet, which has its benefits and risk like equity tends to be much more expensive than debt it's not kind of like the right thing to, it's not kind of like the right thing to use it's not the recommended thing to use by corporate finance experts to for lend sure. for um, but every business has its own constraints and works through what they need to do but it's that that part is interesting i would love to it's probably the part that i i'm very curious about is how do they make that choice and how does it affect every other business decision going forward? Like growth and going after merchants and stuff. Is it is that the right approach, ETC? Cool. Man, how do they make... These fintech yeah. products offering all these services to consumers is just like, what a time to be alive, man. It loans oh, yeah. from everywhere, bank accounts from everywhere, virtual debit cards, agents, get cash here, get money here. It's, it's brilliant. I just, I just worry for... And I'll talk about it in my conclusion. I just worry fundamentally that it's not solving the core issue, which is people are poor and they want to find ways to increase their wealth. These services that people have, uh, they tend to be more ways to manage existing money versus build wealth. Build wealth actually requires something different. I'll talk about more in my conclusion. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I actually see this very differently. I see this as a wealth transfer. Like they can't all win, right? In 10 years, it would be a good experiment. Some of them would give TED Talks and say, what I learned building and raising and whatever. They can't all win, but if I call it this interest now, this the money that I collected from cheaper cash to sign up for their founder I got from them, and the money that they, the discounts they funded oh, yes. for my life, yes, that yes, one yes. transfer from A16Z to me, Sulere, <laughs> yes, is but, definitely but, like. But, but, but I'm talking about wealth build. That's just like you're just getting a little bit of money here and there. That's not but, like 
That's like, like the business loan one. That person can actually say, I'm going to buy more product and sell it. But if it's just the amounts you were talking about are relatively small compared to the impact of something like the business loan. Like a business loan, a merchant can triple the size of her store with more loans. That's more interesting on that side. No, I, I, you, are, you are holding these businesses and the relationship to their customers to a much higher standard than anybody does. <laughs> You're asking, Fair Money is trying to build an engine that converts a dollar to a dollar ten. Me, I'm just trying, I'm always looking for an opportunity as a consumer. <laughs> it's full stop. Yeah. I know you are, you, are, you are ascribing higher aspirations to multiple sides of this chain. And I'm just trying to get the founder Naira for signing up to cheaper cash. And that's fair. You can argue what it is. I just don't think that people are necessarily thinking that far ahead as a value. But should they? Okay. Yeah, possibly. Yes. Anyways. I, I guess I'll talk about it more then. I just, I want more job creation, human capital development, business expansion type businesses versus like, I love the personal finance OS. I love the well, the checking account credit account, but it just, it, it, it's not, it's not helping the core of it. And I know it may be a non-tech issue to find ways to lift people out of poverty, but having a debit card from fair money is not going to help you with poverty, unfortunately. It also won't help you with your fitness or your diet. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's what it's there for. Anyways. Anyways. Monetization. As a company, they make money from lending and the margin on lending. The yes. expectation, the belief, the hope, their investors, in fact, the fact that their investors believe is that they are able to take a differentiated opinion on what it would cost to loan money to Bankole and give me a right rate that allows them to make profit and reflects my own appropriate true risk. Correct. Right? GC Bank today will only loan me money if I have a job and I have a salary income coming to them. You're not and hopefully these guys, yeah, yeah, these guys feel that they can... These guys feel that they can use better approach to look at risk. The flip side of it compared is they probably will have some interest income from float, but because they pay interest as well, that already strikes me as something that's not really going anywhere, like as far as mm -hmm. the relative difference in size. And they also have, for a bank, this is also very interesting. They put their deposits on the website. It's like three and a half billion Naira, which nice. is interesting, but not game changing as far as like, Deposits. They haven't really done a. It doesn't appear that they they, are, they attract a lot of deposits relative to their customers. If you look at the cost, the 1.3 million customers, 1.4 million customers, 3.3 billion in deposits. You look at small amounts in the accounts, basically. Um, Correct. Which kind because of because they only sense. started offering deposit accounts a few years ago. For the longest time, but just doing lending, they only started deposit accounts in Nigeria two and a half years ago. So it's yeah, relatively yeah. new. Relatively new. Not, not a lot. Not a lot then on on how they make money. And their costs are going to be, well, now with the acquisition, they, they have a network of agents to service, go deliver devices, pick up devices, fix devices, all of that stuff. They also have customer acquisition costs, obviously, like any business, salaries, marketing, nothing immediately stands out. I would probably put this more still heavily in the asset light bucket versus an asset heavy bucket. That's a probably good of, of this cost section. They don't seem to have a lot of, I don't even know if they even have office in Nigeria, so if, or like help center. <laughs> Because Kudabank has a nice big one in Yaba. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, I thought on the monetization side, I went through all the different ways to make money, and I thought they have limited options. It makes more sense for them to double down on lending and figure out the customer segmentation, all that. Because if you already start with lending, that's the most profitable yeah. part. Now they have deposit accounts, checking savings accounts. It makes sense for churn and CAC. But the next best part, best in terms of potential profitability, is crypto, but that's illegal in Nigeria. 
So it sort of makes sense for them to just go deeper and deeper. And now that they have the business side with Payforce, it makes sense. But it's one of the advantages of starting with lending is the, the, the requirement to add more features is not as is not as bad as the other way around. Like CUDA needed to do something else because CUDA started with deposit accounts. So of course they need yeah. to do something else ASAP because the deposit accounts, they're not making any money at all. That's why the financial picture for CUDA is way worse than fair money. CUDA is making a spread on that on the money in my CUDA account that they're not giving me anything at all. Do you know the average balance in CUDA accounts? It's very little now. You can only make money on spread when the person has a lot of money, unfortunately. It's not the person on the system these averages are not what they make money on the entire system. They have to keep a portion for cash reserve, whatever they didn't run their business, and the rest they can put in treasury bills, which they have to do by law, by the way. Government let them do other things with the capital. And that money is their money. I don't know. They also, sorry, it's not nothing. You're not paying me any of it. And I know T bills are paying upwards of 10, 12, 14, 15% depending on the rates you can get. That's not nothing over a 90 day period. Yes, yes. But, but I still think these guys have, they have a better source of revenue than the deposit accounts. Because I feel unless you can nudge the person to make it their primary salary accounts, you have a disadvantage with the deposit account because people are just pulling it in and out for, for convenience. That's why if you look yeah. at a lot of European and American companies, let's not say companies, neobanks that primarily offer deposit accounts, yeah. they nudge you to make it your primary salary account versus just a regular deposit account because they know you're less likely to churn on your salary accounts. But Kuda doesn't yeah. do that as well. I use it all the time, and there are very few ways it strongly urges me to keep my salary. Well, I don't have any salary in Naira, but even if I did, I wouldn't keep it there unless it, it gives me more benefits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge for them, but for sure. they, will, they will figure it out. Because in Nigeria, a lot of the banks already have relationships with corporations to make that the salary account. Like, the company would be like, yeah. yo, in this company, we pay you through Stambic. And you're not going to go fight with the HR VP to say, yo, let's no, change dude. it. You're fucked. You just have to accept it. That happened to, to us, right? Like, it's like, stand up at this fam. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear who said, I don't want to hear who did anything. The company yeah. is using Stambic IBTC. Me too, I'm using Stambic IBTC. Don't you have another account before? I had an account before. Now, only I have a Stambic IBTC. I, I saw they had slightly different versions of the app for Nigeria and India, but the reviews, it seems the reviews for the Nigerian one were slightly better than the Indian one. But like you said, they're, the reviews seem fine, not as high as Branch, which had un- unbelievably good reviews, but it makes it makes a ton of sense. I looked at the user interface for the apps, just what you would expect in a typical yeah. new bank lending app. Clean, neat, nudges the person to keep their money there and to get loans, but yeah. nothing, not a lot to see on the user experience. Standard new bank app. Yeah, standard stuff. Anyways, that's, that's the entire product, how it works, how they make money. We talk about most of that stuff. Now we talk about competition and how they will... Excess. Get their money back. How yes, everybody okay. get their money back? I, I hope they get their money back, but not a 50-14 situation. So one quick thing on costs. So what, what would be their biggest costs? Cost of funds, borrowing funds. But because we know they haven't yet, we don't have any actual data that says they've borrowed a lot of money. But if they did, that'd probably be high. Cost of operations and salaries. Obviously, for yeah. most startups, the salaries. CAC normally be quite high because the lending company may be less high. On the deposit yeah. account side, maybe a little bit higher for that because... People want loans more than accounts. The rest of it, reg- regulatory compliance, licensing. If they really want to become a bigger commercial bank later, they're going to need a lot of money for that. But right now with the MFB one, it's fine. They've already paid for that. But just like I said on the branch episode 68, for me, the biggest cost is the behind the scenes shadow costs of risk management and misassessment of risk. The whole thing can always yeah. blow up. All these other costs, they're like whatever. But if you're not actually properly assessing the risk and the potential of defaults, which is the NPL number, the whole company can blow up. It's actually... Risking is very risky because 
it seems like it, lending is very risky because it seems like you're making a lot of money, but everything can unfold very, very quickly. But anyway, we'll see how it all evolves in the future. Turkey, I'm going to talk Turkey about, problem. Exactly, Turkey problem. Shout out to Nassim Taleb. Although, did you see he wasn't the one that originated it? I just found there was another person oh, no. there before him. Of course. Of course he wasn't the one, but he's... He, he's I, he, I, I don't think I've found... Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, in that specific... You know how they always say every idea is an original. You can go back yeah. to <laughs> you can go back to Socrates eventually. Yeah. But I thought the specific way of framing it around Thanksgiving and dinner was his. But even that nuance sub-explanation is from another person. Anyway, everyone loves Nassim. I don't think so. <laughs> I already shouts on you on Twitter. <laughs> Everybody doesn't like him. He's, he's, he's such a... He's like, dude, he's like, I have, I have money. So I don't know why I can't steal what I want. Competitions and options for exit. Competition, easy. They have direct competitors, indirect competitors. On the direct com- competition side, they have some in Nigeria and in India. We spoke about branch. Branch, very similar. Branch is not just in Nigeria. They're in Kenya. They're in Tanzania. There are a few other markets, but because Nigeria is the biggest market, Branch is actually a big competitor to Fair Money. Also, Branch has raised a lot of money. They've raised money from Andreessen Horowitz. They've been in the game for a slightly longer, strong founding team. At some point, they claim to be the most downloaded app, a lot of competition. Carbon, Carbon is in Nigeria and Kenya. They do the same thing. They also offer business services. They also have deposit accounts. They've raised a bunch of money. Not as much money as Fair Money, but also a lot. CUDA, primarily deposit accounts, also plan to do lending at some point. And because they have the check-in accounts, they compete with fair money on the deposit account side. Eventually, they all do the same. India, we spoke about Navi on our on our yeah. uh, FinTech lending episode. They have between one and three million customers. They're Indian startups, so they're more familiar with the local market. In India, there is MoneyView, Cashy, PaySense. I'm not going to go through the full thing. Let's just say, as expected, the lending credit space is highly competitive. In fact, I saw a stat that some of the competitors in India have 10, 15, 20 million users. So 20x bigger than fair money. Now, the number of users is not necessarily a sign of success, but as a sign of scale, because they got into India so late, they just launched in India around two or three years ago, but some of the Indian lending companies have been there for ages. Will they be successful in India? I hope so, but I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out to be a very difficult market. But let's see how that evolves. So a lot of direct competitors. Any thoughts before I talk about some of the indirect ones? No, I, I find the the competition is a overall theme, even in my summaries, basically like, mm. oh, well, I'm good to get this far, but yo. Yo, everyone like, is coming for it. Going Everyone's forward, for going forward is crazy tight in every market and every vertical. But that's what the game is the game, right? You got to go through there to get to where you want to get to. So, Yeah, yeah. And it's their advantage, quote unquote, is at least they're in the biggest markets and the biggest market in Africa and in Asia. I just don't know if that means, what does that mean if the Indian players have been there for years for you and have 10, 20x more customers and they're more familiar with the market? I don't know, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. Indirect competitors. Maybe, as you, as you, maybe it's that argument of, if I can just get 0.1% of the market <laughs> at this CAC and this cost. You know, maybe it's true. Maybe, maybe. the one who was like, if I can just get 1% of the Indian market, maybe that's the argument and maybe it's big enough. Maybe it's like, India is going to be, they're going to make as much money in a better cost structure in India than they would from, say, Ghana. It's possible. Personally, if you ask me, I would rather they go and try it out in India with, like, a billion people versus Ghana, 20 million, Kenya, 30, 40 million. It just seems there's more people, more potential, especially because, to them, Ghana, well, Ghana is culturally similar to Nigeria. Let's not use Ghana. Let's pick Kenya. Kenya is different enough for a French person that, to them, going to Kenya might as well be going to India because they're not... Most yeah. of the, like, they're all, the, the exec team is in Paris anyway. It's not like they're Nigerian. I guess it sort of makes sense, trying a big market. 
the problem with big markets is big market means big competition. Anyway, indirect competitors, traditional banks, obviously, mobile network providers. I always say, why are they not doing more on this? I'm sure over time yeah. they're going to be doing a little bit more here, especially because the telcos, aka mobile network uh, operators, MNOs, they're now trying to do more with mobile money. And mobile money has a lot of components that include financial services, which could be competitive to fair money. And then other fintech players, eventually, some other fintech players, which seem different, will start to compete. Calorie Rise, Piggy Vests, Rise, everyone, it, it, they all seem different, but they're all the same. They want to offer financial services to consumers. And eventually, consumers want bank accounts, they want loans, they want crypto, they want remittances. Even something like Chiver Cash, which seems different. If you ask me, they're in the exact same competitive space. Piggy Vest seems yeah. different, exact same competitive space. Rise, all of them, even, even the stock trading apps, eventually they'll figure out that the stock trading may lead them, they may need to find ways to reduce uh, CAC and churn, which will mean they will offer deposit accounts. We did yeah. our, our episode on SendWave about a year and a half ago. And then last month, SendWave sent me an email, oh, do you want to uh, open a deposit account with SendWave? Oh, I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, obviously I predicted it. Because remittances, they want to find ways to reduce the churn. And yeah. it, I, I, again, they need to go to the next level of making a salary account, but at least let them have an account first. So obviously everyone is going to offer accounts, especially because depending on the API company uses a partner, you don't even need to do anything to offer a bank account. You just use the API company, they'll create yeah. a virtual account for the consumer. All they need is an API integration. So inevitably, everyone gets towards the personal finance OS. And luckily for some players like Branch and like Tala and Carbon and Fair Money, they started with lending, which at the surface seems to be highly monetizable because people want loans. The question mark with lending is still, are you actually doing the credit assessment properly? You're just going to blow up later. Seems like a good place to start, but I wouldn't be surprised if it all blows up because you're actually not assessing the risk properly. Complicated, unfortunately. Okay, I'll talk about exits. Yeah, on the competition part, before we get to exits, is there's the new banks, there's the commercial banks, and there's the... No, no, no. And there's, let's call it unknown, oh, no, no, no. So I'm talking about somebody who comes with cards or credit cards, basically other places to get credit that don't really exist or at scale today. Hmm. Each of those segments are very aggressive competition for the fundamental job to be done, which is I have a cash flow problem. I need money now. Yes. I The competition is very intense. If there's any takeaway from competition parties, it's very intense. And it does not appear from a user perspective, at least for me as a user, maybe I'm blind, is that there's any clear differentiation between both. Versus Zero. Apple or Android is this competition in the phone, mobile phone market, but it's very clear differentiation right. when you buy Samsung versus when you buy Transition, even at the same price points, right? There's very clear differentiation between both. And for the banks, banking apps, take an analogy to the this new banks or new bank versus commercial banks. Mm-hmm. It's not clear to me that there is a persistent differentiation in the user in the user experience, especially across different new banks, maybe between new banks and the commercial banks, maybe a slight differentiation, but within new banks, it's not clear to me that is a lot. I agree. If you ask the fair money executive team or the branch executive team, I already know what they'll tell you. They'll tell you, yes, it seems there's not that much differentiation now, but wait till we get into the cycle where we can better assess risk. We can give bank only 14% versus giving daily 19%, mm. which means some consumers will have better interest on some of the apps because the apps have better credit assessment, yeah. which is a recursive loop. More, more consumers they would, usually... They would even say that's true today. They would say that's true today, actually. But <laughs> I'm yes, sure they would say that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and then they would say, not only can we give them better interest rates, we can give them higher loans, which means, of course, consumers will end up using us because they pay less and they get more money. And then over time, mm. we get the whole market. Do I believe it? I don't know. It's a bit early, but that's what they would tell you. Yeah. Differentiate yeah. on the interest rates and the loan amounts based on better customer segmentation. Yeah. Let's see. Anyways, yeah. Exit. Okay. 
exits, exit options in the next over the next five, five years. years. Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely we will see an exit apart from a surprise acquisition in the next five years because we're just so early. The market is early. They're a Series B company. They're still growing. They're big enough where it's unclear who will buy them. And they're definitely not going to IPO in the next five years, obviously. Based mm-hmm. on the current downturn of the markets, we all need to wait for everything to recalibrate. So I would say unlikely anything is going to happen. If anything does happen in the next five years, aka 2028, it would probably be an acquisition. But it would have to be a very big company to buy them because they're already quite large. Yeah, I, I. This is one of those they have to figure it out. But they have to grow up by themselves. There's not enough. There's not enough to. It doesn't seem like there's enough that is an acquisition target just yet. Um, For sure. But on this credit scoring stuff, man, somebody might buy. It. I am. I am not as upset. Somebody might buy it on the credit scoring, but I don't know if if it's. I don't know who will bite on it enough that they cannot build it themselves. But yeah. sorry for another day. If we say the downturn in the markets, 2022, 2023, 2024, around 2026, 2027, things are coming back. Even then, it would I would have to imagine maybe the surprise acquisition would be some American or European neobank. Yeah. But I don't know, why, why would they want to come into India and Nigeria so badly to pay so much money? It just sounds maybe, so risky. Maybe a measure with another of these like neobanks, like Branch and Piggyvest or like... Maybe. maybe a measure. Maybe we haven't talked about that that much. Because like, hey, we both collect deposits. We both do some credit stuff. Let's get a credit. Let's 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 have one HR office and one one set of maybe. engineers, one set of stuff. Maybe, maybe that's a, me- a common sense measure of of equals. As my as my business school professor said many years ago, the such thing as as mergers yeah. only acquisitions. Like <laughs> when you read the small print, you'd be like, oh yeah, J.P. Morgan and Chase. It was it was fifty fifty. You now see oh. The, the the shareholders of JP Morgan own 51% of the resulting entity. Just know they acquired yeah. them. Those mergers, they're never really mergers. One company almost, because who's going to be the CEO? The, the the signal is who's the CEO of the combined company. That CEO is the company yeah. that bought the other company. The mergers never work out because how's it going to work out? Who's going to call the shots of the acquisition? Yeah. Highly unlikely. It's, um, it's also not an exit. It's also not, not even an exit, exactly. Unless someone bought them, which comes back again to the acquisition play. But anyway, unlikely. Even for the American European neobanks buying them, I don't think it's going to happen in the next five years. But maybe something will surprise us. But doubtful, doubtful. Okay. Okay. Let me. Summary close. Yes. Yeah. Couple parts. One is on the founding story and the market opportunity in Africa, neobanks versus commercial banks, and international expansion. On the founding story, not to belabor the point, super positive founding story. Founders to build something from an idea. And really right. just go ahead and do something that appears otherwise risky, which is why we need founders. To things that common sense people will say, oh my God, you can't give people with just ML and just whatever. And going ahead, take risks and build a business out of it. Like, like it's non-trivial and it's easy to discount that and to, to make this your life's work. Good on that. The second part of my summary is the market opportunity for Africans. I feel like we, even on this podcast, at least I fall prey to the people don't have money and people don't have... People can afford an XYZ product or XYZ app. My Whenever I'm much more, much calmer, I realize that the really the gap is in the business models and we just haven't quite figured out the right business models for the, for the money that they have or even to meet them where they are pretty much, whether they have money or not. And I find that if you think about like smartphones, internet or financial services and, and geo in India and other things, you just really think about like the business model that has existed for people to have access to the internet or data access, which is buy phone, buy data, has just not been the right one. Maybe there's a different business model where you spend $25 billion up front 
and then you make it over a certain long, long amount of time and mm-hmm. finding the risk capital to drive that. And I think about through Africa's Africa's evolution on the African market is is basically that. Is it just has to be different from what we know. And yes, if you're trying to give people a bank where they put a deposit and then they get a loan and then you acquire them, it's probably not the right model. And the real innovation is not so much technical versus just looking for a new business 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 model, right? Um, right. And it, it, may, it may be related that the business model is based on a technological breakthrough. Like yeah, exactly. SIM cards and prepaid SIMs, it was only because it was a technological breakthrough that allowed you to do yeah. prepaid SIMs where people could even, do airtime up front and yeah. then that led to the business model. Oh, yeah. Or even alternative credit scoring is what. Exactly. Like, basically, right. like now there's this functionality to even be able to yes. predict. And now you can go to the business model. And I want about that, about like business models. It's like I'm selling something, but nobody can afford it. Like the business model is broken, not the people don't need it. And that's an interesting way to frame that problem. It was a big, as I went through the story, I went through thinking about credit. It was a big part for me. Third part is new banks versus commercial banks who will win, mm. and or even within new banks, right? I want to play this forward a few years, play forward ten years, right? Simulate it for the next ten years, right? The CEO of Fairmont Lauren believes that over the next decade, two of Nigeria's biggest banks will be new banks. I'm like, is that true? Is it possible? How? I don't know, but it's kind of like it makes you really think, right? And yes. then what do the what, what do the big banks do while that's happening? What does GT Bank do? What do they do? They like, sit on their asses now and get yeah. disrupted. I love it. Yeah, I you can see that, but like like Chase did when everybody was building a new bank in the US. Like Chase did. No, that's different Fanatic. now. No, no, that's different now. Chase is well. You can't compare Chase to GTB. Chase is a well-run company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Let's, I'm joking. Let them just know who said it on the podcast. Afrobility said that Chase is a world company, not GTB. Let's know who said it. Oh How much money that they have? Um, you don't talk anyhow. But you know, it's you funny. Know? At some point, Kuda Bank was the valuation was like 500 million, and at some point, GTB's implied valuation was like two billion. It was already sort of happening, even as of a year ago. It's just now some new banks are facing tough times. No, but but they're saying but exactly. We're making the same point, right? If you go for ten years, do you believe that they'll be equal? It's kind of like if you played for ten years, can you see a world in which Facebook is within fifteen percent of Apple's valuation? Like it's possible. It's not impossible. It's like possible. Right now, it's a fraction of it, but like yeah, mm. it's possible that like of course Facebook becomes that big. But of course, when you look at Kuda Bank versus GT Bank, I don't know if you feel the same kind of. I of, feel the same way for sure. But I, I wouldn't pay Kuda Bank. The bank is there. You pick another bank. Okay. Business model is su- but in the sphere of uh, CUDA plus branch, plus new banks, plus you, car, but like, in that sphere, oh, for, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. You think one sure. of the new 100%. banks will be, will be, will be one of the 100%. A decade? Do you know what happened in 10 years? 100%. Unless something happens where the bank starts to wise up, but I doubt it. The business model is so sweet, man. They have no reason to take any risk. Anyways, It'll definitely I, happen. I'm, I'm, happen. I'm, I'm not as optimistic. Um, mm. that they will one version of the future is that they just eat each other up mm. uh, like they you know what they're doing in uh, presidential debates in the US where they just let them fight with each other <laughs> and then nobody 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 looks good because they're all like they all take shots at each other almost right. and nobody comes out of there really healthy everybody comes out of there tired and not able to compete with the real enemy which is the other party and I feel like that's the space is feeling very crowded to me but it's an interesting thought process and that's a different point of view I didn't even think about but it's it's worth continually having that conversation and asking yourself what, what do you believe and what needs to be true and in this going forward for banking services. Yes, and Banco, don't forget, there are two other market participants that are important. You said new banks, one. You said traditional mm. banks, two. There's mm. also telcos 
coup they're oh, yeah. now they're spinning out their mobile money arms they're getting deeper into financial services even if you leave yeah. out in pest and safaricom which is a crazy outlier example it's clear they're also going to be deeper in this so what's going to be their yeah. competitive positioning versus new banks additional banks number three and then the fourth yeah. player which is also important is everyone else if you have all these apis where you can embed financial services in your products there's a whole market of every yeah. other app offering it directly to consumers. It's hard yeah. to count it as one entity because it's everyone else. But depending on the if you believe in banking as a service, you can te technically integrate mm -hmm. all financial services in your app. Okay. Bank accounts, savings accounts, lending accounts, credit, insurance, everything. So how big is that going to be? I don't know. But there's at yeah. least these two other categories of players that are very important to yeah. think about. Does that make you more or less bullish about companies like, not to pick on Fairmoney, about companies like Fairmoney then? Given all you've said, given going in the future, given the commercial no. banks may or may not wise up, given oh, telcos may or may not do something. Guys, and it's that's where I get very much man. like, it's it's an interesting future. But look, like, I, I, I was going through my notes preparing, like I was thinking about when we talk about Yoko, right? Mm -hmm. From the jump, like Yoko from the jump was always like, I don't even know if these guys are going to make it out of this <laughs> demo period. I don't know if they're going to, right? right? And they managed to be like, I don't know what the difference, I don't know how they're going to, but they've, they've continued to build a business and meet all these different milestones. And maybe it's in the operational execution and the talent that they have on, on the bench allows them to figure out the right thing. Because it's a credit-led new bank for people and businesses now versus a yes, money lender versus a new bank. And then, so maybe that we're looking at this ecstatic version of the players and maybe they will all change in a way that and these guys can change better, quicker, faster um, to win is, is the bull case. But that's my thought process. I don't know. And it's not my bet to make. The final part of my summary is on international expansion with the world as a blank slate. I am attracted to the idea of there's nobody that says Ghana or Kenya is the next thing. They went to India, why not Indonesia, right? Why not Bhutan, right? right. Why not Bangladesh? Why not all these countries? And I like the, I like the boldness. I like the, the initiative, Hootspot initiative to just be like, you know what? This We put 300 countries or 180 countries through like, this filter, this in like this six came out at the end. This one is basically like closed up. This is North Korea, so this is not really a good idea. Nobody's <laughs> India. Um, and then number four was Russia. They're like, what is North Korea? Yeah, that's a good idea, right? <laughs> so you just be like, dude, I, they're going to be saying we have to go here. And I like that boldness. And I don't know how possible or feasible it is for companies to do that. But I do like people just challenging orthodoxy and saying, Hmm, what African countries like why? Why not like here? And I do like that that like we are a solution, we're just gonna go find a problem wherever it exists. Yeah, interestingly like on that point, we had a, a different perspective on the branch episode. I felt that the business model was relatively transferable. You find more signals on the Indian person's phone, maybe not the same signals. You felt yeah. that, oh, you have to start from scratch. So do you have a, a updated opinion or you have the same opinion as before? I'm I'm only allowing the decision. I'm not I'm not even talking about the quality of it. The idea that mm -hmm. this is on the is the same risks. The risks are the same risk I identified in branch as well. Those still exist, right? I feel that the same logic with branches. Branch has always felt very much more no connection at all to Nigeria or Africa at all. In some ways, I've I've honestly thought of the founder of Fair Money to be Nigerian. And it's felt very good much marketing. like a Nigerian Nigerian ish company. Good marketing, right? right. Nigerian ish company yeah. going to India. Versus a Paris-based company going to India, and in 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 branch cases, a San Francisco-based company going to India, but the risk for both are the same. It's more like wow for this company to think about that. Branch did not really like it was Kenya and then it was Nigeria, so it's kind of like and then they went. These guys were like Nigeria and then, so it's a bit different in that sense. But still, like, it's the same risk. I don't even think it's necessarily better or worse. But why not? 
that's that's really the real challenge. Why can't any of these companies have that thesis and right to win? And it kind of is very different. Like if they can compete and come back and win, who's to say that they were not right or they were wrong? And if they can keep it small, it's a smaller experiment. It costs less to try. Intriguing. It's just all these companies going to India. It's it's exciting, scary at the same time, but I understand why they're doing it. The, the level of difference between Nigeria and Kenya for some people, maybe the level of difference between Nigeria and India, I can understand that. Especially if, yeah. if you're not Nigerian. For you, you're neutral. You're in San Francisco. So like it's yeah. they're just emer- emerging markets to you. But, yeah, but for me as like, a Nigerian person, it is just feels Kenya seems closer. But yeah, is it about being close or is it about making money? <laughs> Yeah, so. it's it's eat only bread. Don't drink ice. Right. Don't take ice cubes right. from the hotel bar. It's just like same rules, man. Don't enter a strange taxi. Same <laughs> same. Love. Don't just eat anywhere because don't wear gold, gold chains in the streets. Because uh, no, uh, in uh, India uh, you wear gold chains on the streets. India you Indians in gold, man. Uh, I read a whole article chains, about. There's a whole cultural thing around gold and gold storage and startups give you opportunities to save gold. It's it's weird, man. But I know. I, I will so post weird. a podcast in the show notes about okay. Titan, which is Tata's <laughs> gold arm. And you, if you yeah, know how big Titan big, is, big, how big, big, big people? I don't think people have an idea. Like these shops are doing thirty million dollars per annum turnover. <laughs> a shop in the mall is doing like thirty million dollars per annum turnover. These guys make more money than Tiffany's per square foot. What the hell? Gold is, is um, as part of the culture. Like, there's a whole ethos around grandparents, great-grandparents thinking about gold as a way to store wealth, especially if you don't trust the governments. And gold throughout uh, the history of mankind has shown to be much more reliable and less prone to political decisions. It makes sense. It's just, it's such a country-specific yeah. thing. Okay, oh, yeah. anything else on your summary? No, that's it. That's it for me. Basically, founding story, the, the business model opportunity for Africans, and the current evolution of competitive landscape and international expansion as, for me, as a treating the world as a blank slate and not coming in with preconceived biases. Dope, dope. Okay, just like on the branch episode, I'm going to structure my summary a little bit differently than normal. I have two sections. The first section is a summary about consumer fintech lending companies in general. I know Fair Money has moved away from calling itself a lending company. They say they're a neobank, but majority of the revenues are still from lending. They were doing lending for the majority of their history. They're still primarily a lending company that's transitioning to a neobank. I have thoughts on that from our episode 32. And then secondly, I'll talk about my thoughts about, I'll discuss my thoughts about fair money specifically later on. Here's a summary about my thoughts about fintech lending companies in general from episode 32. We recorded that around 2021 June. Let's do this. I have four different, four different sections of consumers. I have investors and entrepreneurs together. The third one is the bear case and the fourth one is the, the bull case. Consumers. I, th- I think the core of my overall view on this, I've said this a bunch of times is, the core question we all need to ask ourselves, and we all have different answers, will providing loans to low-income individuals make them better off or worse off? That's the crux of it. And different people have different p- perspectives. Like, I don't know the actual answer to the question. I need to think more deeply about it. But I, I think I still know. I, I can't I pre- believe that answer is not an unequivocal yes. That's why I can't even believe that. It, like, I, yeah, it, it, it I, just, just doesn't... We disagree. Yeah, we, 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 we disagree a lot on this one. I, I just think... Like, I don't know the answer, but I feel like I prefer to give them skills, knowledge, ways to increase their positioning, their wealth. There's many things I'd give them first before loans. Okay, I haven't said that. That leads to, to thinking about this in two different parts. There are two different flavors to borrowing money, consumers borrowing money. The first thing is either you pay for appreciating assets, let's say starting a business, education, yada, 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 or you pay for sudden emergencies, like let's say medical emergencies. That's one c- category. 
Another category is you pay, you borrow money to pay for depreciating assets or living above, above your means. Depending on what, what you're using the money for, my perception is very different. The first category, right? That first category also includes SMEs, getting access to loans, credit, to build their business, whatever, whatever. This category makes a lot of sense to me. I love it. In fact, I think, and the way I framed it to myself is, you're borrowing money, but you're using it to increase your human capital, your human potential. That's awesome. However, if you borrow money because like, you're trying to pay for depreciating assets with crazy interest rates, especially in the, with these lending apps that have all these dubious collection practices where they could call your parents, I just think that's like a horrible idea. So like, basically, in this second case where the consumer is using it to buy depreciating assets, I just feel like the lending app's best customer is someone who's consistently paying late fees and or they're digging themselves deeper I, in debt. Basically, just n- nasty stuff. I don't stuff. think that's true. I don't yeah. think that's true. I think for the betting, the person who loses is their best customer. I think for sure. If you give a loan, right? That's like saying if you the the if you give a loan, the the best customer is the one that pays back the loan with interest. No, no, that's the thing. They, 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 can't, they can't afford it in this case. It, it, how are they going to get the money to pay back if they're in the case where they're getting a depreciating asset? That, that, that's a fundamental issue. Okay. Unless, unless you're paying for something that's appreciating, if you pay something that depreciates, how do you pay back the loan? If you could actually pay it back, you'd never need the loan in the first place. I don't like it when the customers are using it for those kinds of things, and especially because of the way the collection systems are, are, are set up. Some of it is pretty nasty. We skipped out on some of it. There are a bunch of suicides, which we didn't talk about. There are a bunch of people that lost yeah. their, their jobs. There are a bunch of people that got divorced. It's just nasty stuff. It's basically like betting. I don't like it, but I will say again, caveat, it depends on how the person is using it, what they're using it for, and whether it's an SME that's actually using it for a productive thing versus not. Okay, we landed that. The third category is investors and entrepreneurs. Exactly the same as I, as I said in, in, in betting. I wouldn't begrudge investors or entrepreneurs getting into the sector, but like I said, I prefer to stay out. I'm, I'm not a fan. I wouldn't really invest. I don't really have a lot of love for the sector. The only exception I have is SME lending or if lending is done as part of a personal finance OS, which is then, it's not the crux of it. It's, it's, it's a subset of the role functionality. Okay, bear case, bull case, then I'll wrap. Bear case, simple. Increased regulation, basically China tech. Um, lending becomes more and more pervasive. Um, it, we, we have a lot more high profile things going wrong, like the suicides, the death, loss of jobs. Government comes in. When government mm-hmm, puts mm-hmm, in the regulation, mm-hmm. it makes the whole sector worse because the investment goes out. And then, yeah, it's just bad. Bull case is the opposite. The government regulation is clear and early and subtle, and then there's better scale because there's better assessments of risk. Risk, better risk assessments, assessment leads to better loans. Better loans leads to better customer segmentation, best, better borrower yeah. selection. Uh, hopefully a lending startup cracks this that gets big or a credit as a service uh, platform uh, cracks this and gets big. Um, I, like I said, I spoke with my friend Deju Oloye about this, mm-hmm. and basically he was very, very confident that lending as an API is actually the way to go. But either way, the bull case is that a company cracks this, they create a vicious cycle, hopefully they become a service for other companies, and then the whole industry goes well. Bull case and bear case. Those are my overall thoughts on this. Coming back from that clip, which like I said was from our episode 32, recording 2021, I'll now give my summary about fair money. And this is very short. I just have uh, three sections. The borrowers, aka the consumers, the bear case and the bull case. So borrowers, there are two sets of borrowers here. For the businesses that now have the opportunity to get loans and other financial services, it makes a lot of sense. If you're a business and you're trying to figure out how to scale and how to use money to increase your working capital, your supplies, whatever, it makes sense. For consumers, like you heard me in the clip, just stop borrowing money for shit you can't afford. It's not going to help you. It's just like the poverty cycle. Olamide's morality police. <laughs> it's not morality police. I'm just I'm giving my opinion on this. 
Like if I you agree. can't afford something, don't borrow money from it because it's, it's only gonna make it worse. You have to pay interest on the loan. Stop it. Use it for things that you can use to increase your human capital, your personal capital, things that are appreciating assets. I said it for a long time, the clip, I'm not gonna do it. If you're a business owner, makes sense. If you're a person, please stop. It does, it's, it's like short-term gratification for long-term success. Almost every important thing in life requires you to have a longer-term framing and longer-term thinking. If you just want instant gratification, in the longer term, your future self is not gonna be happy. You spent, after you add in the interest, you may pay 3X or 4X the price for your depreciating assets. It doesn't even pass the first sense of common sense, the first test of common sense. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox, let's do bear case, bull case. You can, you can hate me if you want, it's just the truth. Okay, bear case, the bear case is so obvious. Competition in Nigeria becomes overwhelming. The India bet doesn't work out due to competitive pressure, regulatory pressure, different market, growth slows, MPLs actually blow up because of misassessment of risk. They start to lose momentum, harder to raise money, blah, blah, blah. They go out of business. I said this on the branch episode, I'll repeat it. There's also the issue of crime syndicates or fraudsters targeting these companies. And hopefully they have a good risk system. They have a whole way of tracking this because I've seen situations in other markets where it can actually be a big problem. But the biggest oh, yeah. piece of the bear case is loss of investor confidence. Because they're losing money, what happens is just, they just get into a cycle where they lose um, confidence from the investors and it's harder for them to raise money. That's the, that's the bear case. Simple, straightforward. Bull case is their strategy of partnering with businesses to give loans starts to pay off. We spoke about what they did with MTN and Mansard. Will that, is that going to be a long-term thing? If it could work, it would be very interesting because it... It positions them similar to the API integration companies and it gets them a way to get customers at scale with minimal CAC. Obviously, it's lower margin because you have to give some of the margins to the partner, but I would accept lower margin for a more repeatable business with a partner that has a lot of, uh, a lot of scale. The pay force acquisition leads to a large merchant services business. They start to give more loans to businesses, that scales. There's also ways for them to make more money because not only are they giving loans to the businesses, there's the existing POS business, which is what Yoko yeah. does. And Yoko, Yoko had some crazy amount of revenue. Now, Yoko is at a different scale. That's Yoko's primary business. Yoko's in South Africa. It's apples to oranges, but that's a whole business on its own if they can make that work. And yeah. it's actually a complementary business to, to loan. Let's see where that goes. The new bank strategy works, which enables them to reduce churn and CAC. They have more success in India, yada, yada, yada. The government policies work in their favor, especially in India and in Nigeria, because those are the markets they're in. Maybe the Nigerian market becomes less competitive. I don't know what's going to happen, but there's so many competitors where, depending on who acquires who, who merges with who, who goes out of business, things could shake up to their benefit. Right now, yeah. there are just so many players, but I don't know if two or three years ago, luckily for them, they have so much money. Well, it depends on how they're spending it, but <laughs> they have so much money that they can ride out the storm where I'm not sure... Well, Branch also has a lot of money, but for everyone else, I'm not sure, if you ask me, if you look at everyone who's a neobank, they're in the top five percentile of money raised and they can last longer if things go south. But let's see, it depends on the burn rate. But my view of $42 million raised two years ago sounds good, but I will be proven wrong if they don't raise money in the future. They should be raising money right now. Anyway, so that's the bull case. The best part of the bull case, obviously it ends with some potential exit, which in the next five years seems unlikely. But if it did happen, it'd probably be by some American or European neobank or credit leg company as well. Overall, European maybe, given the given the Paris connection, ah, nobody yes, knows more exactly. people in Europe than these guys, right? And there's Correct. a lot of neobank neobank energy in Europe as well. Like Europe, yes. Europe is the home of the original neobank. Correct. Correct. Yes. 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 I I I forgot that. 
the end, I was, I was thinking about where I would land on the positive, negative. Eventually, I'm 55 positive bull case, 45 negative bear case. Barely. And it's, I, I was on the fence. for. I didn't want to say 50-50. That's just like not making up your mind. I just felt, I felt that they showed so much intentionality to start the company. They showed a lot of intentionality with their geographical expansion. They've had the same CEO for six years. He seems to be someone who knows what he wants. I like the way they did the pay force acquisition. They've raised a lot of money, but I just, I can't go any higher than that. The competition is everywhere, man. Everyone yeah. wants to give loans. Everyone is, and the, com- I hate to be a broken record with the government stuff. There's something about lending businesses and the way government can react if consumers feel that the way collection is done is improper. The Kenyan government yeah. did something a few months ago. The, there's always that risk, and I, there's something about the lending API companies that just makes me think there's some all, also orthogonal risk. And then the final risk of like misassessment risk and blow up, I can't be any more yeah. positive than that. I was honestly even a little bit more on the bear case. I just like the fact that it raised a lot of money, but it's not a slam dunk business by any means. But I wish them the best of luck. I hope they do well, but pff, competition and government yeah. regulation plus risk assessment is a triple combo, man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I hope they do well as well. I'm about to move my bank accounts. <laughs> Oh my God! So just, just tell me, not be exactly. This is not bull or bear case conversation. This, this can't is, believe you. Can't believe you're keeping money in naira, man. You're so crazy. Keep it all in dollars. Only at the point of purchase. How can you keep naira? Unless it's some operational expense where you need to pay for something. Don't store it in naira. You're taking too much risk, man. God. I'm not storing it in naira. I don't have money like that. I don't have money that is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about like one thousand naira. I have money that is spent. I just okay. I just try to make yes. the best of it. I have yes, money yes. I spend. I also have people that are owing me in Lagos. So yes, people are always yes, people yes. are owing me and I'm also sometimes I owe people. That is wrong there. Recommendations are small wins. People I can go call any money, email info from really dot com. We'll just pay out. no, don't even email, just pay me. Don't even let it be long. Just pay me. If you owe me, pay me. If you need any bank account, I will give you. You also for um, fair money account. Fair money. Or I'll borrow the money from fair money, you pay them back. <laughs> okay, recommendations moments. I have a ooh, recommendations moments. I have a couple of recommendations. First is one book and two songs. One is this book. I'm like a third of the way through, and I know I'm going to recommend it. It's called Zealot by Riza Aslan. It's a biography of Jesus the Man versus Jesus the Christ. It's a very thought-provoking biography of Jesus by putting into context things we know that was happening around the time that he was born and raised and all of that stuff. It's a very interesting book, whether you're religious or not. It's like a super interesting book. Smart book. Um, and a lot of people don't know, around that time is also the Roman Empire, Augustus. There's also a lot of things happening around yeah. the world, which is in, yeah. has interesting historical significance, even if you're not a big fan of the religious stuff. It's cool. Oh, have, you, have you read it? No, no. I'm just, I'm oh, a big history oh, person. Oh, 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 yeah. I'm all oh, about like Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, Roman Empire, yes, Augustus, religious movements. Mo- yeah, I, I love that, that shit in general. So It's a I'll great book. It. But I'll wait for uh, you to finish. I can't trust after a third. No way. What if it goes south? Good. It's not going to go south. The guy did. How bad it was. I was reading it yesterday and I was telling my wife, I was like, every two pictures, but like, can we imagine this is like, you're just talking about Jesus Christ a lot. (laughs) Like every 10 minutes is all you just talk about Jesus Christ. And I'm like, that's not the energy I was hoping to be giving you. I will. So it was very exciting. I I definitely was really into it in a way that my wife was like, I know what you're reading. Thank you. Anyways, other, other recommendations of this. I found this. It's called Femme Remixes of just popular songs. It's like an EDM remix of popular Nigerian songs. There's two I like in particular. Remember by Fireboy and Lonely at the Top by Ashake. Just EDM remixes. I use a bunch of EDM when I run, just for the for the sprints. 
And this was just, the vibe is good. I'll post links to them in the show notes. It's really good. It's just some, some dudes, man, who just like make these remixes and it, it slaps. You gotta I check it out. Wait. Bunkley has the best music recommendations because I normally hear the songs six to nine months after. So yeah, easily. This is, this is how I get all, all my music. Okay, yeah. recommendations. I have so many recommendations because we haven't recorded in a while. So I have oh, wow. one, two, three. I have four recommendations and one small win. Okay, two recommendations, two Arnold Schwarzenegger books. The first one, The Education of a Bodybuilder. The second one, Total Recall, My Unbelievable True Life Story. Incredible. One of them ends when he's in his early 20s, which is The Education of a Bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. So it goes into a lot of depth about growing up in Austria, his family, moving, getting to muscle building, all that. The second one is, is, is his entire life. Well, he's still alive, but you know what I mean. So that's much more becoming an actor and moving to America. Great books. I, I was just intrigued by his intentionality and the way he thought about yeah. what he wanted in life. It's, it's very well written, goes into a lot of depth, very honest. And it's just like an extreme guy getting extreme results. Great, great books. I love both of them. If you had to pick, I would say it depends on what you want. Do you want more depth about early childhood than get the yeah. education of a bodybuilder or his whole life than get the second one? I would read both. I love books. That third recommendation, Richard Feynman's second book. I'd already read the first Richard Feynman book. Surely you're joking years ago. So mm -hmm. I read, what do you care what others, other people think? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, not as good as, it's not as good as the first one. The first one was excellent, but it's just like Richard Feynman, for those who are not familiar, a very popular physicist, American physicist, a Nobel Prize winner. And more than just being a popular academic, he had a lot of adventures. Like he was part of the Manhattan Project. Yeah. He was like a writer. He did some stuff with the government. He used to travel. He's, he's what, he was just like a crazy... He's, he's what we used to call baby boy that we now call city boy. <laughs> Right. He was a city boy. <laughs> Feynman was a city boy. He was an adventurer. Uh, so just nah, he was a, great a city book. boy. He read <laughs> a book. lot of books about Feynman. He was, <laughs> he was a Nigerian man. At some point, he was like, how do I become a magician? How do I become a womanizer? How do I... It's just, the whole thing is just bizarre. But if, if you He became all those one, things, by the way. He became all those things, by the way. No, Feynman is one of all, us. All I would <laughs> He's an African. Oh, I'll win in a Nobel He's Prize. He's a founder. He's a founder. Yo, oh, okay, I'll if you haven't read Nobel both Prize. of them, definitely read Surely You're Joking first, but this is a close second. And then finally, last, last recommendation is a YouTube channel that tells stories about financial companies and financial CEOs, financial services companies, financial CEOs. It's incredible. I watched the history of JP Morgan, history of Howard Marks, Jamie Dimon, Goldman Sachs, Fidelity, Vanguard. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's pronounced as Finos. F-I-N-N-A-U-S, but it's it's just so good. I guess because we're the affordability guys, I like company stories. I also like finance, but it's company stories as a video and about finance. And because it tells the stories about the companies and the people, it's just like, oh my God, I thought I knew a lot about Fidelity. Turns out the Fidelity history is really interesting. I'm like, oh, even I yeah. didn't know that. I knew everything about Vanguard, but he combined the stories in a way which intersected like the mutual fund industry, the index fund industry, Vanguard, and what was yeah. going on in America in the 70s. So yeah, brilliant, really good. And his videos aren't that long compared to affordability. like 25 to 40 minutes. Nice visual effects. Highly, highly recommended. Nice. Okay, small win. Uh, my small win was I, I was able to do a full workout. I hurt myself two, three weeks ago, <laughs> and I was able to do a full workout yesterday, but it is what though. it is. Yeah, it's a small okay. way. My body hurts. No, but during the workout, I was like, this feels good. I don't feel any pain um, <laughs> during the workout. And when I tried to play basketball right after, and I couldn't, like, jump to save my... I was just, like, gone. Um, but I feel good, though. I'm glad I worked out. I'm going to go for a run later today. So help me God. I should be good. <laughs> so do you recommend people do 
upper body strength training or lower body strength training before basketball. Because if you do lower body, it would be hard to run. But if you do upper body, it's hard to take shots. Either way, you're at a disadvantage yeah. to play basketball after strength training. I, I don't play basketball with people. I So my basketball is about like oh. working on a number. Like I play basketball with people, but I don't play basketball with people after working out. No, after working out is basically working on form, working on specific shots that I want to take in a game, which is strange because I have a full-time job that has nothing to do with basketball. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> So wait, you're not a professional like, basketball player. Yeah, I'm not a professional basketball player. But I, but I, when I when I play basketball after working out, I work on specific shots. It's almost like I have a spot on the court. I have it, have a shot I want to take, like bounce twice and take this shot, or like catch and shoot. I practice specific things. It's more practicing basketball than playing basketball. I wouldn't even cons- recommend doing strength around any basketball game. Like it's not even it's counter incredibly counterproductive because basketball is like twitch speed. And if you're playing defense, you're chasing people as well. Like, you're just going to let your team down. Like, you want to be sharp because if they know that you suck and you're not ready, you're going to, like... Because also, the children I play with, these 20 years I play with are so rude. So, so I have to make sure that I'm up to speed because they'll just be some stupid ass. Like, they'll just be insulting someone. Like, I'm not your mate. And, hey, man, play defense. Am I your mate? Do you know? Do you, it's because I let you call me by name. And they're so rude. I don't even play... If, if I like Nigeria, basketball you call me Uncle Uncle Bagali. Yeah. Is he Uncle? He's always to give me your CV. Let me find job. <laughs> you are always here playing basketball. You don't have job. Me don't have job. <laughs> How many years experience I have? They, they dribble me. They, they will yell. Hey man, hey play tight, play guard, guard him, guard him. What? Have you seen me in my office? So rude. When I want to play, when I want to play with those kids, I always make sure I stretch beforehand and. I, I sleep well. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, guys, I can't make it because I didn't sleep well last night. Like, I'm not even ready to be. I'm ready to be embarrassed and be yelled at by some 22-year-olds who are doing this because they want to play Division One and they are playing on Saturday with something university. Bro, this is a hobby for me, fam. <laughs> Yo, that's... Nothing that happens here can ruin my mood. Do you understand? Outside of an injury, nothing that happens here. It can beat me 15-0. I don't care. <laughs> I love that small win. So my small win, I was in Rio up until three days ago. Rio de Janeiro is a lot of fun. Uh, highly, highly recommended, but my stomach is still recovering. But it was good. Nice small win. Um, I did a bunch of tours and checking out the city. It's nice, but it was so hot. Oh, my God. I escaped the Miami heat to get to Rio heat. I'm not about that hot life, man. I grew up in Lagos. I just want some cool breeze, some water. All this shit where people are just sweating, saying, thank you for the heat. I'm not about that lifestyle, yeah. dude. I like air conditioning. Yeah. And I like the breeze. I don't want to just be burning and sweating, but it was nice apart from the weather. It was just too hot, man. Even for yeah, really nice. standards. Did you, did you reach out to a bunch of startups there? That'd be very interesting to just <laughs> even hear a different perspective of like startup stuff. I, I did not. But it turns out the main startup place in Brazil is Sao Paulo. There's like a Silicon Valley area. I caught up with them in April when I was in Sao Paulo, but Rio is just like, okay. people are just okay. having fun, Vibes. man. I don't know what, what, what kind of startups are there. I'm sure there were some, but... Yeah. Not, not the type you think about. <laughs> so, so like Miami startups, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to Shout Miami. Out to Miami. <laughs> oh, like, okay, I'm a startup I'm based in Miami texting. Like, you're yeah, not. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are not giving you you're, a penny you to move your offices. You're not a startup. <laughs> you're based in Miami, though. You're a small business. You have vibes, bro. <laughs> you're a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> On that note, we end it. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afferability.com. Thanks.